Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Gargoyle Podcast. I'm Nathan, a.k.a. the Gargoyle. And I'm Eric, a.k.a. the Chimerican. And joining us tonight is very special guest, Graham Skipper. Say hello, Graham. Hey, what's going on? I do not have a clever nickname. <laughs> the Sequence Breakakin? Sure. That just sounds like a Sequence Breaker. I feel like that was the, the more logical, the sequence breaker? The yeah. logical direction to go with that one. <laughs> the sequence is, break is, that like a, is that like a point? Is that like a point breaker? <laughs> Ooh, I like Sequence Break Dancer. That's good. Oh, that's good. I like yeah. that. Yeah, I, I, I can get behind that. Um, all right. Yeah. So Graham is here tonight because we, well, he's not here here. He is here via the internets uh, because we're finally in the analysis episode of Fear of Going Insane Week. Which that that's been a week. Yeah, sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I was looking back through the episodes and I went, you know, I really put these guys through the ringer. Oh man, there were some <laughs> great movies there. Like one. they were there. You had I think this is maybe the best selection we've had, including our own selections. Like this has been a great week of movies. It's true. Thanks. Good. Yeah. It's um. Yeah. Yeah. It it so. My week was fear of being a parent. Eric's week was fear of Eric's dead kid week. And then ever since then, every it was fear of the week. That's what it was. <laughs> just, just fear of death and children. And like every single week since then, someone has had a movie of a dead kid. So like, yeah, we just cannot escape our fears. Yeah. Well, and I, in, isn't that the point? Isn't that the point? <laughs> That kind of is exactly the point. There's um, no escaping. So, what we will, I, um, I am sure, give time at the end for the, uh, Graham, tell people where they can go find you and all of that stuff. But in case there's anyone who has listened to this podcast and doesn't know how much I just freaking think that Graham is awesome, uh, tell people what you do and why you are awesome. Gosh, uh, <laughs> oh, good Lord. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm an actor and a writer and a director. Um, I have appeared as an actor in such things as Reanimator the Musical and Almost Human and The Mind's Eye and Beyond the Gates. Um, and then just this year, I, I uh, released my feature directorial debut, Sequence Break, which is out now on Shudder. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I'm a big horror nerd, always have been. Uh, I love talking about horror. I consider myself extremely lucky to work in this genre. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It, uh, I, I, uh, I'm from Texas originally, like <laughs> long walks in a dark forest. I don't know. <laughs> don't we Excellent. all? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we actually used uh, Sequence Break as one of our palate cleansers going from uh, Kevin and Jennifer Sluter's was their week uh they had a combined week. fear of uh child in peril and fear of being trapped yeah so uh more children yes the more children yeah all, children are everywhere in this podcast oh god and, <laughs> and they're all dying and kevin's um kevin's palate cleanser was tigers are not afraid oh god that is not a palate cleanser <laughs> that's what i was a palate saying destroyer <laughs> i mean it cleanses the palate in the sense that Oh, it's a beautiful that, that it movie. That burns the world down around you. Exactly. It's the, the same sort of like. No, a, no, it's it's no, it it is it is a beautiful film. I mean, and it's it's oddly uplifting, but man, that's a tough watch. It it really is. I still haven't seen it. I I really want to see this movie. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's one of the best films of the year for sure. I I just like rubbing Eric's face in the fact that uh, I was able to see it because yeah, it is. 
Oh god, it is a gorgeous. Movie. I think that's why you keep bringing it up. It's it, like I'm it just gonna, really is. <laughs> I'm just gonna remind Eric that he can't watch this movie because <laughs> I've been searching for so long to see if it's being picked up or distributed or streaming or anything, and there's nothing out there, no information at all. It'll, I'm sure it'll come out. I mean, it's, 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 it's made such a you know big, uh, big stir that I, I'm sure it'll come out at some point. But yeah, man, it's, it's a, uh, it's a hard one to watch, but it's worth it. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So speaking of hard things to watch, um, the movies that you picked for the week, <laughs> I have to pull back up the list because I can't remember things. Uh, <laughs> Jacob's Ladder, Kill List, Antichrist, Session 9, In the Mouth of Madness, and then Your Palate Cleanser was Evil Dead 2, um, which are just so, so many good movies. Uh, but before we start diving into like why those movies and like how they actually represent the fear why is your fear your fear like why the fear of going insane you know it's a good question i'm i'm not totally sure i think that um well there there's a lot that i've discussed with my therapist over the past 10 years that that i could uh, delve into but um in in short you know i i think that for me it's just so 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 scary to imagine not being able to trust myself you know, like, mm-hmm. like, like one of the scariest things that I, that I ever look up online when I have those, you know, late nights of like, let me go down to, you know, a rabbit hole here and look at something are the stories of people <laughs> that like sleepwalk, but like kill people in their sleep. I was about to say, where's that story going? Looking up stuff, you know, late at night looking down rabbit holes, <laughs> but, but good. And, and, I'm, I'm glad and you went uh, dark instead. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's, it's really, it's, it's just so scary to me. The, the idea that, you know, I could you know, do something and, and not have, uh, and, and, and not know what I'm doing, you know, like, like that I could, you know, go murder someone, um, but, but be completely unaware of it and think I'm just living my life normally. Um, that to me is, is so, you know, eminently scary, like more so than, than, you know, a a slasher that's, you know, stalking me or, you know, like a, I don't know, a a demon's going to possess, possess me or something, you know, well, actually, no, that that sort of ties in a little bit to to mm, to yeah. the sphere, you know, is, is that idea of possession. But but yeah, I, I think that um, I, I just really am afraid of of losing control of myself. And um, I'm not sure where it comes from. And I'm not, you know, and, and you know, I, I I'm I'm not sure, uh, you know, what why that is the way it is. But um, there's just something about that that really bothers me on a on a very real level more than you know ghosts or goblins or or you know zombies or whatever i kept relating it to actually before i decided on my fear week i thought about doing fear of disease because something that's Mm. terrifying to me is the thought of getting like alzheimer's or dementia and i feel like Mm, that kind of relates to this fear in a way that's what i kept thinking about as we were watching these movies because like my grandfather had dementia um my wife's grandmother had Alzheimer's for years and years. Um, and it is, it's terrifying to think about just losing a part of yourself and not being like, not being aware of what's going on. Like, I don't know that that thought just terrifies me. Yeah. And like, that's just such a driving thing in horror movies, like regardless of, um, regardless of what the specific fear is, there's just such, um, just this underlying factor of fear of loss of control. 
So, I mean, even relating it back to the rest of the weeks that we've talked about, so much of that revolves around what if I can't control this? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, fear of going insane. I mean, it's just another example of what if I can't even control myself? So, yeah. Well, and, and, and it sort of, um, you know, it makes me think of, of like, for me, the, the movie that got me really into horror movies, I was always into into horror films, and I was always, uh, you know, fascinated by, like, I had this pop-up book with the Universal Monsters in it, and I was really fascinated by it. Um, but the movie that really just, like, rocked me to my core was The Exorcist. Right. Um, I saw it when I was, like, 11 or 12, and I remember that my great fear after that was, you know, oh, man, if a, if, a, if a demon were to possess me, and make me do these things, how horrifying would it be to be doing all of this horrible stuff and, and, and not be able to stop? Um, you know, and I, and I think that that, that hit me, you know, in a, in a very sort of gut level. And I think that it kind of, you know, relates to, to, to what my, my, what this fear is and what this week is about is, is sort of being, being out of control, you know, like you said, and, and, um, you know, so it's sort of interesting that I, I mentioned possession earlier because as I think about it, I go, yeah, you know, that really is kind of the the same thing is this idea of going insane and being out of control of your mind. Mm. I understand that uh, you recently read uh, Paul Tremblay's book. Uh, Head Full of Ghosts. Head Full of Ghosts. I just yes. started reading it and it is fantastic. And I feel like that kind of relates to this to this fear as well. I saw on Twitter that you had read that and loved Completely. it. Completely. 100%. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, it's great. Well, and like even as you were talking about that, I, for anyone out there who has never listened to an episode uh, before, my background psychology. So like even as you were talking about that, I kept thinking, oh, man, that also applies to like people with addictions and like they're they're They get themselves lost in whatever their addiction is. And on a certain level, it's not them that are doing things. It's it's sort of whatever their drug of choice is. And you know, just how complicated of a real life thing that is in terms of do we hold people responsible for things that they do when they're drunk or when mm -hmm. they're high? And I mean, right. it, obviously it's yes, but like to what extent? Because you're not going to hold someone to the same level of accountability uh, as if like they had Alzheimer's. But but again, like why not? And yeah, there there's just God, this is why I love horror movies is because it takes things in real life that a lot of people don't actually want to talk about. Like, oh, here, let's talk about the fear of losing myself and the fear of addiction and the fear of just whatever. And and it like just puts it right there in your face of like, no, this is a thing of real life that you have to address, that you have to understand how to work through it. So let's work through it sometimes in like the worst way possible. Lars von Trier. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no. The worst way possible is uh, Human Centipede. Don't ever watch it. It's terrible. It's just... Yeah, oh, well, I, I've seen it. You know, actually, H Human Centipede, it's funny. I, I liked that movie way more than I thought I was going to. Um, it, it, it's uh, it's it's way better made than, than I was expecting. It's not a good movie. No. But, but it's, <laughs> it's also not the... The, the trash fire that I was sort of expecting. I, I think the acting is good, is what I'll say. It, here's the thing, and we're not going to spend the entire podcast talking about it because we've already spent way too much time talking about human <laughs> centipede before. 
it's not as bad as I expected it to be in the sense that like, you know, people who talk about like, oh, God, it's so terrible because, you know, someone's face getting sewn to another person's butt. It's like, yeah, but (laughs) you barely even see that. Like, it's only terrible in theory, in practice. Like, I expected it to be more provocative and more shocking rather than just kind of there well and it felt to me like with the movie it was more just like they had the tom six had the concept but he didn't really have anything else to say or do with it like it just felt like a lot of kind of the wheel spinning in place in that movie and it was like just about showing you this horrible thing and then it was like i don't really know what else to do with it so here (laughs) let me just walk him around like a dog in the yard for 30 minutes and then (laughs) everybody will die Pretty much. And we talked about that on the Antichrist episode, how Lars von Trier is kind of like Tom Six and that he deliberately tries to stir up controversy in in his movies, but he actually seems like he has a lot more to say, a lot more on his mind than being controversial. And Yeah, yeah, I I think so too. I think that von Trier um, certainly like makes films that are, that are, that are controversial and that push buttons and, and, you know, intentionally, you know, uh, uh, stir people up. Um, but I think he has a lot of talent and I think that he, um, like you said, he, he is really trying to say something, whether or not it's clear what he's trying to say is, is a different thing, but he, but he, he does have a, he does have a meaning behind what he's putting on screen. Yeah. Like he wants you to contemplate something other than Willem Dafoe getting his testicle smashed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was about to say, we probably probably need to put up a spoiler wall. <laughs> By the yeah, way, spoil- anyone yeah, who's big, listening, big spoiler wall. We, yeah. we went through the reviews to give spoiler-free Here's Why to Watch Them. This analysis, we are going to analyze these movies. We are going to say, here's this one thing that happens at the end and why it is so vital to like explaining fears. So, yeah, there's going to be spoilers all over the place so general spoiler warning for all of the movies in tonight's episode um well well speaking of genitals getting smashed we <laughs> dive into antichrist <laughs> what do you want to dive into antichrist or do you want to go uh in order from the week oh sure whatever yeah I, I mean, whatever y'all want to do let's let's go in order because uh i don't know like i feel like as we were watching them some of the stuff built and sure so then by the time we got to antichrist it was like i by the time i got to antichrist um so like uh, I was texting Graham um, last night and said, hey, have you thought about this? And and we were kind of like sort of pre-gaming the podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, you guys are having a conversation without me, I see. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, we started talking a little bit about what Graham was just saying with the uh, that relationship between like demon possessions and going insane. And like that's where I had noticed it in the first couple of movies, but by the time we got to Antichrist, like it really hit me. Like, wait a second, there is such a huge relationship, especially in horror movies, between going insane and like demon possessions. And they're not always clear which one, like they're trying to uh, trying to focus on. So, so yeah, uh, I I think that building throughout the movies will lead to some of that. Uh, so yeah, let's dive into Jacob's Ladder. And I mentioned this on the review. I'm a bad horror nerd. This was the first time I've actually seen this movie. Wow, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, why, why'd you pick that one? Um, I think that uh, that's probably the clearest um, uh, example of Fear of Going Insane for me of all these movies. I think it's the, the most sort of like Jacob's Ladder is about a man losing his mind um well it's about a lot of things um 
I think Jacob's Ladder is a masterpiece. Um, I think it's one of those rare, you know, horror films that I think you could show to like a non-horror person and and have them go like, oh, wow, like that should win an Oscar. Like that's a really fantastic film. Yeah. Um, I really love the movie. I think the acting's phenomenal. Um, I, I love how... Uh, I, I love how daring it is and it's horror imagery like like for for a film that I think could pretty easily be a um, you know like a, a, a I hesitate to say mainstream movie but I'll, but I'll say it you know like a mainstream cineplex movie um, with a big budget and you know top actors and the whole thing that that it really like goes for it in terms of this kind of hellish you know uh, creaturey um, imagery that it that it gives you, um, and I think that it so perfectly uh, provides us with with a a uh, w- w- with a sense of of what it would be like to be losing your mind. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's the it's this the such a, a, an honest depiction of like not knowing what your reality is and not knowing who to trust and you know how paranoia you know, can, can feel so grounded. Um, and, and yeah, I just, I think it's a fantastic movie. Yeah. I think of all the movies we watched this week, this is the one where I feel like it related the most to the fear because for me, it seemed like the most honest depiction of that. Like it really felt like you were getting into the headspace of someone who was going crazy. You get that really great subjective perspective on it. And it was like, okay, yeah, if I was losing my mind, I have a feeling that it would really seem this way. Yeah, and uh, like one of the things that I love so much about it, and Eric and I uh, like skirted around this issue during the review, but I, I, I've been so eager to talk about it. The fact that, um, so there's basically like three realities that are going on. There's the actual reality of him in war. Then there is what the audience is led to believe is the primary reality of um like him basically suffering from ptsd um and like seeing some of those demons and like that's where the majority of the movie takes place and then there are the the flashback scenes that the first few times that you see them it's clear like okay this is not real this isn't what he's actually experiencing but then the more that he experiences them the more they the more real they become but one of the things that i found so so fascinating about that was and I like I get the fact that it was you know the angels and demons kind of like fighting for him <clears throat> and whether or not he was ready to go and you know the whole thing that um what's his name his chiropractor explained like this is what's going on um but I love the fact that the majority of the movie and his reality is not a happy setting so it's not like someone who is living a good life and like things are going okay and then oh no weird stuff starting to happen so obviously they're going insane it's like when when some of the good parts of his past started to show back up like that's also part of what made him think that he was insane and i don't know i i just found that so fascinating in terms of like it started dark and then got even darker when you actually see his kid die again why why all the movies with the dead kids <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I, I, I just found that so fascinating that it focused more on like the PTSD side and things are bad to begin with 
and really having like to work through that and struggle to get to the good mm. rather than starting good and going insane, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and, and it's such a great misdirection too, I think, you know, like, like, like really the primary reality of this movie, like you said, is, is him in war. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, what he wants is he wants to be with his son. Um, you know, he, he wants to be home. He wants to be with his son going upstairs to, you know, play with the son is, is what I think. Um, and, and, and so, you know, in these, I mean, I think this whole movie, you know, again, spoiler, 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 but yeah. <laughs> I think this whole movie, you know, takes place within, you know, like a blink of an eye as he's dying there on that operating table. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that it's, it's, you know, what his mind is doing and struggling with is, you know, the, the things that he left behind, the things that he wasn't able to be there for. And, and, you know, this, you know, his sort of, uh, uh, you know, latent, like, like that, this kind of cultural, um, glue that we all have about the idea of angels and demons and heaven and hell. Um, you know, whether or not you, you are Christian or you go to church or whatever, I think that that's something that is just sort of ingrained in all of us. Um, and so I think that, you know, all that stuff gets like meshed up together in his head and, you know, and, and ultimately what he's, you know, what we're left with is, is that, all he wants is he wants to be home. You know, his heaven is he wants to be home with his son. And and what's amazing to me about this movie is that we go through all of the stuff that we go through of him, you know, like literally, you know, wading through hell uh, all so that he could just be back home with his son. Um you know, and so in the end, it's it's like you know, for as dark and as kind of you know dour a movie as this is, um, it's it ends up. I I love that this movie has a happy ending, and to me, it is a happy ending. It, it is a know? very depressingly happy ending. Yeah, it's it's yeah. interesting how it gives you that happy ending, and then you find out that he's been dead this whole time, that, maybe or I mean, may, or that it's just been taking place. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because it lends itself to multiple interpretations. It could be that he's existing in some kind of purgatory, and there. It, like like you said, angels and demons are trying to fight over him, or it could be that he saw himself being stabbed by um, like a fellow soldier, an American soldier, and he's trying to work out like, okay, why did this just happen to me? And yeah, that kind sure. of plays into yeah. the whole like subplot about the uh, the what, Jacob's ladder or the ladder, the uh, the psychotropic drug that they were giving to the soldiers <clears throat> to increase their aggression. Um, so that's one thing that I really like about it. It works on multiple levels and you can really kind of put yourself into it to deter- like decide what you think, like if you think this is a happy ending or if you think that what happened actually happened or. Yeah. Well, and I'm, uh, I'm glad that you said it's kind of open to interpretation because as Jess and I were watching it, um, I said, I think that he's already dead and everything that he's going through is just like his own personal hell. And she said, no, I think that like he's, you know, in a coma or something and everything that he's seeing is just like these flashbacks in his mind kind of working through things. And I love the fact that we were both right. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. There is so. I don't know. I, even just like the use of pictures, like when he's looking back through um, just all of those pictures of his old life. So. There's just such a fascinating interplay between even when he was in like one reality, it wasn't it wasn't completely devoid of 
the other part. So like mm-hmm. it wasn't here is side A and here is side B and they are completely separate. It's no here th- how these things relate to each other and yeah, it just made it a much more complicated and and I, I think a really engrossing movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I just you know I think it's just really incredibly well made. I mean, I mean the the way that the film weaves in those realities with one another. Um, you know, like, like my, my favorite scene in the movie is the, this scene, there's like a dance party, um, yeah. you know, and, and, oh, yeah. and that, that I love that scene so much. And I, I think it's so great because it, it, it starts with something so simple, right? Like he's looking for his glasses. He can't see his glasses and, and, and he can't see without them. So it's like, okay, you know, on some level I'm going, all right, he can't really see what's going on and, and, uh, you know, et cetera. And then. There's a certain point where, like, like, remember, okay, so remember earlier on in the movie, he's, like, in the subway, and there's, like, a homeless guy, and he sees this, like, weird, like, tentacle yeah. underneath his, like, fl- flopping around. And and so when I first saw that, right, I go, okay, this could just be some homeless guy's dick, you know, like, <laughs> is, what, is, is, is what he's seeing, right? And then... But then you see this, you know, this, this, <laughs> then you see this dance scene. I thought and he had a there's a certain snake. point where it passes over into, okay, th- there's something supernatural happening. You know, there's something, something demonic that's actually going on here. Um, and, and I love that for him in his, in his reality that he's experiencing, um, when it, and I think this is what ultimately is so scary to me about this and so scary about my fear is is then when it when all that goes away, when this completely undeniable demonic supernatural thing happens and then it goes away and he's back in the normal world. Yet he remembers having seen what he saw. Right. Like that to me is so scary because like, what do you do? You know? What do you do? I mean, he goes to his chiropractor, you know, which I guess is kind of any of us would go to whatever doctor we trust, you know, but even then that shit starts getting weird. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's, I just think it's so well made, you know, and, 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 and the, I think you said this in your, your episode of, of the, of the review, you know, the review of this, but that, you know, the horror elements they creep up on you mm-hmm. and and they they with a few exceptions you know it's not like things are jumping out at you um but it it puts you so much in his mindset of of at what point are things going to turn yeah at what point are things going to be going to be bad um and then sort of like a eulogy you know the whole thing how it all winds up together um i think it's just really beautiful uh you know the the ending is sort of like you know, the perfect ending to like a concerto. Like I, I think it's just such a perfect, perfect, perfect ending yeah. to this movie. Yeah. And that's what I like. What I think is really brilliant about this movie is that it doesn't use very explicit religious icon- iconography. Like it's not like devil horns and, you know, red skin and craziness whenever he descends into hell. Like it's very subtle like it makes it feel more real like if you were really going insane or if this was really taking place it's not like they're just going to pop up and be with like the fork <laughs> fork tongue and <laughs> i'm just expecting like picturing just boo i'm a demon <laughs> yeah right no but it's it's just so subtly done and it's and one thing that i really love is that 
with the visual effects, it's all done in camera and it makes it feel so much more grounded. Like there aren't any kind of like visual effects or, you know, CGI, which I know that it wasn't super prevalent when this movie was made, but, um, but still like, it's all very much, even like the head spent, we talked about this in the review, but even like the head shaking thing was done using practical, like in camera, using camera effects, like under cranking the, uh, yeah. FPS. Yeah. And like, it's just, it's brilliantly done. Yeah. So, um, so Graham, you started talking about this, but, um, I, I want to dive in deeper because that's what I do. Uh, you said that when you were watching it, um, like being able to remember what happened the next day, like how terrifying must that be? So in relation to your fear, like how, how does watching this movie play on your fear or how does watching this movie, um, like how, how do you respond, respond watching this movie? Is it something that like Eric and I've talked about this on, um, a few of our reviews that like sometimes with these movies, okay. So like, here's a really good example, mom and dad, which is kind of a terrible movie, not terrible in the sense of like the quality, but it's parents going around killing their kids. And that was Eric's palate cleanser for his week (laughs) of fear of dead kid. And so watching it, like it was almost cathartic of the entire week, uh, (laughs) being so scared of a kid dying now we're just going to like go, you know, balls to the wall and just see someone killing their kids. <laughs> and like, it was less scary and more of just like, Oh, well I'm never going to do that. Thank God. But then like, there's other, uh, other movies that really seem very simple and not terrifying at all. But when you watch them, you're just like, this is just wrecking me. So it's so, like along those lines, like how, how was it emotionally watching Jacob's Ladder, especially in light of that fear? Um, you know, I think that more than any other movie on my list, I think this is the least fun one to watch um, for That's me. Um, I think that it's uh, because it is so tuned into what my fear is of not knowing what my reality is, um, it, you know, and, and I think it's so, you know, naturalistically acted and and that that you you believe everything so much um and that it's also just so you know sad um i i I think you know it's it's a hard watch um however you know i think that the so i've been watching horror films for a long time now right and i i it's really hard to like scare me i think you know it's hard to to you know for me to to really be shaken by something so I think that when a movie like this comes along that can consistently emotionally shake me um, and, 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 and do it, you know, as, as masterfully as this movie can, um, I think it, it, it's sort of a way to kind of explore, you know, on, on a, you know, sort of a subconscious level, like, like why I'm afraid of what I'm afraid of and, and, you know, uh, kind of help you cope with it. I mean, I think that's what horror films are great at is they help you cope with your fears. Right. Yeah. So, so I think that with this, with me, um, you know, sort of being able to pull it apart and look at all the realities and look at how they meld together and look at why, you know, why he feels the way he feels and, and, you know, some of those emotional reasons for, you know, why would war affect you this way or, you know, the death of a child or, you know, his, you know, his like sort of seeming fear or distrust of his, 
um, you know, of, of his his girl. She's his girlfriend, right, or his wife? His girlfriend. I, I think she's um, just girlfriend. his girlfriend. Yeah. 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 You know, but but it's just sort of interesting to then because I think this is a movie that begs to be picked apart, and a movie that that as you watch it on multiple viewings, you really do, um, you know. You you really can go in and and scrutinize all the little details, and so I think there's something about that that helps me to. Here's what I'll say, right? So The Exorcist, when I first saw it, it scared the hell out of me. But the next day, I woke up and I had to watch it again, and I watched it like four times. (laughs) And it was in watching it over and over again that I was able to go, oh, I see how they did that effect, or oh, I see why this affected me because this actor is really good, or this beat you know worked to make me jump so so i think in pulling it apart and analyzing it it helped me to to um make it a little less scary Mm. and i think jacob's ladder touches um so deeply and truthfully on on the idea of going insane and losing your mind that as you begin to pick it apart um it it kind of helps you uh understand a little bit what you're afraid of yeah well and uh, we we have lots of other movies to talk about, uh, so I want to get into those. But like even, excuse me, like even just looking at the the wife and the girlfriend, and like how each of them could represent a different part of him. Like there really is so much in this movie that can be picked apart over and over and over. Whether or not it was intentional, like some of that stuff, I don't think is intentional. Like what does each of those women represent? But there's so many other things in the movie that are very clearly by the end uh, very intentional that, yeah, like it, it's, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe that is a bigger piece than uh, than what it might seem. But, yeah, absolutely. Like analyzing stuff and diving into it <clears throat> definitely gives you that opportunity to, uh, to work through things. Yeah, it's really funny. My son, uh, Owen, he's five and he is terrified of Slappy from Goosebumps. <laughs> um, I don't know how this fear came about. Like he just one day was really wanting to watch not of the living dummy, like uh, the goosebumps TV show episode. And like he started watching, he was like, no, 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 this is too scary. Turn it off, turn it off. And ever since that moment, like he can't be alone in a room. <laughs> um, Congratulations. You've scarred uh, your kid. For hey, life. He, he just kept I'll, going I'll on and you. on. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, fine. Let's watch it and see how it goes. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go hey, ahead. If you if if you if you really want to scar him, uh, my my buddy Joe does the voice of Slappy. So if you want me to oh, get him to leave a voicemail man. for your son, <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah, we can talk about. We can make arrangements after the episode. This is great. But no. So what I was gonna. So what I was going to Any, say. Anytime though, he's like, I'm not gonna go to bed, or oh, I don't want to brush my teeth. <laughs> Just pull out Slappy. That is Slappy amazing. That's so amazing. Um, but no, but what I was going to say is actually yesterday when I came home, Owen was like, daddy, daddy, guess what? And I was like, what, buddy? Because I watched Night of the Living Dummy. And I was like, oh, you finished it? And he was like, yeah, it wasn't even that scary. <laughs> so like he actually, because we stopped in the middle of it, he didn't really get that catharsis. He didn't get to the end of it to find out like what exactly happens. And I think that kind of terrorized him more than anything, just not knowing what exactly was going to happen or how slappy actually behaves or interacts with people and so him watching it like facing that fear helped him to like diving into it helped him to really get over it as well so far i don't know if he's totally (laughs) over it yeah i don't know if he ever yeah no you, you know that reminds me of a story that i think that applies here so when i was a kid and terminator 2 was coming out um it was playing at our local drive in 
And I begged my mom to take me to go see it. And she kept saying, Graham, this is going to be a scary movie. I don't think you want to go see this. I was like, no, no, I really, really, really want to go see it. So she said, fine. So we go to see the movie and it gets to the scene where T-1000 has like the spike hands and is like clawing his way up onto the car. And I say oh, to my man. mom, I say, I say, I say, mom, this is way too scary. I want to go. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. I want to go. And she turned to me and she said, no, you begged me to bring you to this movie and you are going to watch this movie until the end. And so she made me stay and made me watch it. And I'll never forget it. You know, we get to the end scene, you know, and there's Arnold, you know, descending into the lava and whatever. And and I started crying and the movie ended. And I said that and I was like blown away by how good this movie was and how, you know, the effect that like seeing the full arc of the characters was and mm. seeing how T-1000 got beaten. And exactly, she said, yeah. to me after, you know, and, and she said to me after she goes, see, if we had left for you that guy would still be out here and he'd still be out there and, and he never would have been beaten and he'd still be a danger. But because you stayed, you know, you saw how things turned out. So don't, you know, if you're going to watch a movie, watch the movie. But part of that is finishing it. And that was a really big moment for me, you know, as a movie goer. Well, and like, that's also just a really big moment in life of learn to face your fears and deal with difficult things. Mm. And I'm, I'm not going to send us down too big of a tangent of how like even just things like talking about stuff that is a difficult thing to talk about, like people that you don't agree with, like rather than working through a difficult conversation and how can I get through this like a rational person, it's nope, you don't agree with me. I'm just going to like yell and run away. And like so many people don't know how to face something that scares them. And I, yeah, I, horror movies, fixing life since (laughs) ever. Yes. (laughs) Uh, All right. Let's, let's dive into the next movie, uh, Kill List. Kill List. I love this movie. Uh, Kill List was way better than I thought it was going to be. It was also way different than I expected. Yeah, it it was total. I've I've been wanting to watch this movie for a while um, because I've heard such great things about it. And when I first started it, I was like, "Am I watching the right movie? Like, (laughs) this is not what I what I thought how I thought it was going to start." Because you know, typically with a lot of horror movies and stuff, they they start off with like that big attention grabbing kind of scene. Like there will be like one instance of like something scary happening or something, and then it goes back to build up the plot. With this movie, it just starts off straight like with the characters yeah. interacting and with it being more like a family drama. So, And it goes on for about the first 30 minutes we talked about. And it was like, okay, this is definitely not the kind of movie I was expecting. <laughs> not even a little. And then it ends up like building that groundwork early on, though, ended up making the movie so much more affecting by the end of it. And so weird. Sure, yeah. I mean, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, I mean the the... I think the establishment of of his relationship with his wife, you know, and his son and and the, you know, and his friends and the sort of weird world that they live in of like, you know, they're hitmen, but but they are very suburban, you know, and very totally like realistic. I mean, like that fight that they start off with when they just launch you into this <laughs> crazy fight that they're having, you know, that that. It, and, and then and I love the dinner party fight also like I just I love how like it's so sort of outlandish and, and almost comical how how viscerally they fight with one another but that's kind of what 
makes me believe it more, you know? Yeah, um, yeah I think if we were like, ever to, if we were able to go back and watch a lot of the fights we have with like our spouses and e- even though it's not going to come to blows or I'm not going to be like throwing dishes all over the floor, yanking out the tablecloth, like anytime I think back on arguments I've had with my wife or something, I'm always like, this was so stupid. Like yeah. I would hate to watch a video of this because I would be embarrassed for myself. <laughs> Just have it get, because yeah. you get in arguments over the stupidest stuff and yeah, that's what I really like well, that about this too. Well, and, and I just, I think that the movie, you know, like it's really hard to, to have a good twist. And I think they hide this twist so well, like, you know, you, and I, I mean, I, I, it, I don't know how you guys reacted to it, but for me, you know, the, when the twist finally happened, it was, it was so instantaneously out of the blue, but also like totally founded in the reality that they'd set up. Like I could immediately see, Oh wait, they've been telling me this the whole time. Yeah. And I didn't see it. You know, they totally pulled one over on me and, and that's what I, I love about it. And I think that's also what's so scary about it because here's a guy who we've been following very closely that has been living his totally normal, normal for him life. <laughs> and, you know, and, and yet here is this insane cosmic fucking like like total turn you know the universe on its head thing that's been following him around this whole time and he had no idea yeah you know yeah yeah and like that one of the things that i i love so much about it is exactly that like when i got to the end i was like what where's this coming from there there was no build up to this this is not what i was expecting but like you said, looking back on it, it's like, oh, wait a second. No, like there were a whole lot of things mm-hmm. letting you know what's going on. Um, and <laughs> it it's funny that we watched this one before the Antichrist because like so this cult was basically like grooming him to be the Antichrist. And yeah. I find that so utterly just fascinating and and just like ridiculously scary because again it's not even just necessarily him going insane but like all of these external forces driving him to do things that he doesn't want to do which i know is part of going insane but like once i realized like oh right like they um like the rabbit in the yard um you know there's the question of whether or not the cat did it Mm. or if it was like one of the cult members like giving him the sacrificial rabbit and so when he ate it like that was another part of his transformation but just the people that he killed so he killed um a priest a librarian um who who else was on the kill list like who else did he kill like a was not like a I can't remember what the third one was. I'm sorry. Not not the person that he like goes off and kills just because. Yeah, it was uh, the third one on the on the list, right? Yeah. Um. Oh, crap. Can't remember what? what they're. Oh crap! I can't remember. Um. Well, it was it was the dude in the cult. So I mean, maybe that was just kind of like uh, the misdirection of actually getting him there. But in terms of like the people that he was killing, um. Yeah, there was the whole, you know, like they were part of the cult and so they were sacrificing themselves and blah, 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 blah. It was a member of parliament is is how it was. Okay, so so effectively they had him killing faith, knowledge, and government. Mm -hmm. And so like even just the people that he killed, I was just like that, I, I, I love that. Not 
again how violent it was but just who these people were and how they represented um especially because like the people that he was killing even though they were part of the cult they were also representing like part of the downfall of each of these organized Mm. structures but then he was also in a sense killing off these structures to i don't know like regain control and this movie is way deeper than than what i thought by the end of mm-hmm. it going back and thinking about it's it like oh my god so much more. well and that's what i think is kind of brilliant about the movies that you've chosen graham is that we start off with in terms of going insane it's very internal in jacob's ladder and then in kill list it, it's like you said nathan it's very much an external force like he's really not in control i mean like in jacob's ladder he's not in control either but it comes from within and then here in kill list it's like being manipulated by outside forces and i don't know which i think is scarier yeah sure yeah no completely it's it's really i mean how terrifying is that to think that literally everyone in your life including your wife and your son are in on it it's like a it's like a very twisted version of the truman show like so so were the wife and son in on it or were they captured by the cult No, the and wife pawns? was definitely in on it, I think, because she looks up at him and like smiles at the end after he stabbed But I her. thought that was just like a resignation and just kind of like, oh, this is ridiculous and kind of like, it, kind of like people who laugh at a funeral. They're not finding a dead yeah. person funny. It's just like, <laughs> you know, like, huh, <laughs> I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to yeah. laugh. Like. I, I don't know if they were in on she, it. She, that look she it, gave seemed interesting. more malevolent I, to me. Yeah, I, I think that she's in on it for sure. I think that the son being in on it is a different thing uh, or a different, you know, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I, I do kind of think that I think that this movie is made more powerful if the wife and the son are also you know, a part of this whole like thing mm. that, 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 uh, and, and so that's why I kind of, I, I think I choose to think that, that, you know, cause, cause it's one thing if it's just a cult that then kidnaps and like, I don't know, drugs or whatever, the wife and the kid, you know, to make it a part of it. But I think it's just made more impactful if, if the, you know, if the wife and the kid are, are sacrificing themselves in this very bizarre way mm. so that he can ascend to the throne. You know, that seems scary um, to me. See, and to me, yeah. it seems scarier if they're not involved. But again, part of the reason that it seems scarier to me is because I'm a new dad. And so for me, not just the fear of going insane, but the fear of not only can I not protect myself, I can't protect my family like that. Like, I, I think maybe that's why I viewed it that way is okay, if the wife and son were in on it, like, that just kind of sucks. Mm. But if they're mm. not, then I, I don't know. Like, that seems scarier to this me. Is, this is kind of fascinating. See, I think it seems scarier, especially in relation to the fear of going insane, like, to think that your life has been a lie. Like, your wife doesn't really, oh, maybe sure. doesn't even really love you, or, or maybe does, but loves you under a completely different circumstances than you thought. Um, that whenever she smiles at him at the end of that movie, that just sent a chill down my spine. Like that really got me more than just about anything in this movie, even more than the hammer to the head oh, <laughs> in the God. middle of the movie like that. Oh, oh that is brutal. <laughs> I still, we, we talked about this in the review. We didn't mention the specific scene, but this is this, the hammer to the head scene is one where we're like, how the hell did they do that? Yeah. And I, 
So there had been some violence. It doesn't cut away when he puts his head down. And there had been some violence building up to that, but not like that. I mean, even the hammers to the knees, like they were kind of cutting away or like you didn't really see it. That scene, I was just like, that scene hit me almost as hard as um, the decapitation scene in Hereditary. Yeah. Not Not quite as much, but almost. Oh. Yeah. Just the crunchy, gooey, just. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, insanity. <laughs> yet another example of losing one's head. Um Yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah, it's it's I, I think it's, you know, I think that Ben Wheatley has a really unique sort of aesthetic and I think that um, you know, I heard on, on y'all's review episode, you know, uh, that you hadn't seen a lot of Ben Wheatley stuff and I encourage you to go and and watch his stuff. I I I really I, I like Free Fire and I like High Rise. Um, I love A Field in England. Yeah, that's um, the one I, I really want to see. I, I think that I think that Ben Wheatley is at his best when he sort of has um, some limitations. And like Free Fire and High Rise, he has a huge budget, you know, and can kind of do whatever he wants. Um, but I think like with Kill List, you know, it's obviously made for a low budget. Yeah, and so it relies so heavily on the performances and the characters. You know, and I think that's why it's so impactful. And with A Field in England, you know, he manages to make, you know, essentially a historical war epic on, I mean, he shot the whole thing, I think, in like two weeks for like, like under $100,000, like for like no money. See, this is why I'm such a huge fan of independent film because I necessity is the mother of invention. Like I feel like, like with Evil Dead or something like that, it's one of those things where it's like, because you have such a small budget you have to really wrap your mind around that like look at things from a completely different way because if you have a huge budget it's like okay well we know how to do this so let's just do it this way but if you have to be more resourceful you have to think about things in a different way that leads to just like some brilliant brilliant ideas in a lot of cases well you have to start asking yourself what do we need to do rather than what can we do yeah and then you get to cut out all the excess too so yeah yeah that's why i love indie films so much especially indie horror yeah, yeah, with kill like kill list was enough to be like, oh my god, I need to see more Ben Wheatley films. Like it was just oh yeah, I'm definitely a field in England. I think is on Shutter too, so I'm I'm gonna be watching. It that. is on Shutter, yeah. Sweet, yeah. yeah. As soon as I as soon as we get through this podcast and I have free time to watch other movies, <laughs> so you mean be watching that? You, you mean November is yeah, when you're November. gonna watch it? <laughs> it's definitely at the top of the list. So so what about like uh, how this movie brought out your fear? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that we sort of touched on it. You know, for me, this movie is about about somebody who whose life is a lie and who who thinks that their life is one way, um, and then everyone, including those closest to him, are are actually conspiring against him, you know? Um, and so I think that it, it's that it's when it touches on that is what scares me, you know, because I, you know, to think that my wife, you know, could could be, you know, somehow conspiring against me and 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 uh, you know forcing me down this horrific path, you know, or to imagine the idea of like, you know, you're forced to fight and stab to death this hunchback monster, and oh my god, it's my wife and my son, like that is is so horrific to me. Um, that that I think that 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 is what it uh that's what it touches on for me. And this one thing that that is sort of Jacob's laddery 
about this movie is whenever they are attacked by the cult in the end, I wanted to make sure I mentioned this, they make these crazy like feral sounds that kind of reminded me of something like The Descent. And I love that like you don't really know if there is a supernatural presence or if it's, you know, like it just kind of subtly hints that there may be a lot, there may be more going on. Yeah, we mentioned that. See. So uh, for anyone who listened to the review episode when I was like, oh man, the sound design and the question of whether or not things are real, like that is exactly the thing. Like towards the end, once you start seeing the cult, especially once the uh, cult starts attacking and you get like this weird, like screechy, growly, at some points almost like a synth sound. And I legitimately do not know was that the sound of the characters in the film and was that the sound um, that uh, whatever dude's name was like was he hearing that or was that just part of the sound design of the movie to kind of put the audience in that general frame of mind yeah like if it was diegetic or non-diegetic like and, are you hearing yeah. that as an audience or is the are the characters actually yeah and like it was it was so effective in that because like at first I was just kind of like, oh, well, obviously it's them. But then like it was more than what you would think just a normal person would sound like. And it's like, maybe it's not them, but but it has to be because it. Oh, God, that sound design when he is being chased by the cult is to me one of the most terrifying things of the entire movie. Not in terms of like thinking about why it's so scary, but like the actual uh, reaction watching the film that sound had me on the edge of my seat mm. and like i i don't know if i want to keep listening to this yeah it but makes it I'm, i have to i'm so engrossed it makes it scarier and it subverts your expectations because at that point i was fully expecting like a descent like twist where it's like they're going to be attacked by a bunch of crazy creatures and it's going to be horrible and then by the end of it i was like oh it's so much worse than that yeah yeah it's sort of interesting, I think, to the idea of of what role the supernatural plays in this. And I think we, you know, we'll talk more about that, you know, in the coming movies. But um, to me, it's so interesting and frightening the idea that, you know, that perhaps there is this like malevolent God that is orchestrating all this stuff. Yeah. You know, that that is not, you know, we don't see the heavens open up and this tentacled monster come down, you know, out of the skies or whatever. But instead, it's just it's it's all play. It's sort of like, um, you know, I I think that uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, but it's like like I imagine that if magic existed in the real world, it wouldn't be like Harry Potter. We're like, you know, for me, you know, whatever. Like, I think (laughs) that if magic existed it would be more like, like, you know, like uh, uh, yeah, or, or, or yeah, like, like that, or like, like, I, I honestly, like, I think of Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, where right. Gandalf never really, you don't see him, like, shoot lightning bolts out of his fingertips, mm. you know, <laughs> but, but he's clearly got magic, and, and, and so I, I, I feel the same way with Kill List, where, you know, the whole movie is so naturalistic, like like 100 percent. And then there's this big like thing that happens at the end where we're led to believe that, you know, all this is very, very real because of how the movie set it up. And and that to me is so fascinating to think of this very realistic depiction of like a chaos god, you know, or or whatever it is that that is is driving all of the 
you know, events of the film. Yeah, and like something else with that is, like you were just saying, you don't see like the the heavens and the hells open up. You don't see the tentacles. You don't see some girl grinding on a demon at a dance party. Um, but what you do see are the people who believe. So, like, regardless yeah. of, like, regardless of whether or not there is uh, this higher demonic power or lower demonic power, whatever. Regardless of whether or not there is a great big demon, the people who are believing in it are the ones who who are having so much impact on his life. And I mean, there's an entire <laughs> there's an entire podcast just around that, you know, which is well, and they really demons or they people really who believe. believe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but they and they believe so hard. Yeah, you know, like it's not. I think that's what makes me believe that this is all like for total real. Is like. You know, for everybody, including you know, d- depending on what you what you think happens at the end, but but including his wife, like to to believe so hard and sacrifice themselves like this to say thank you, yeah, you know, like that is hardcore serious belief, and it makes me go, "There's got to be something to this." Yeah, yeah, and like both of those are equally as terrifying. Um, yeah, so. In, in terms of just like the quality of the film and right, this is almost going to sound like a dig at a director, but it's not. I think that he's amazing. Uh, a little bit earlier when I made the comparison with um, with Hereditary and the hammer to the head and the um, <laughs> the head hitting the light pole. The, to me, there are a lot of similarities in the overall story between Kill List and Hereditary. Yeah, I've seen the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think Ari Aster is an amazing director. Like, I need to see more of his films. Like, please keep making stuff. Hereditary was one of the best movies I've seen in a very long time. And from a director for a de- directorial oh. debut too, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is insanely good. The only issue that I had with it was things were explained too much at the end. And I, yeah. I'm really hoping that was the studio saying, oh, well, here's the focus group said they didn't get it. You have to do this in order for us to give you money. I I really, really, really hope that's what actually happened <laughs> because so much of the rest of the film is built up in such a way that you don't need that explanation. And that's one of the things that I love about Kill List is you don't get an explanation, but you have all of the clues building yeah. up through the movie. And it's... It, it is just so masterfully done that, God, I, I, I love it. It is such a good movie. Terrifying and really difficult to think about, but technically it is amazing. Yep. Yeah. So there, there's that. Uh, all right. Next up, we have uh, Session Not. No, sorry. Next, Next up, up, we have Antichrist. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk <laughs> right. about Willem Dafoe's dong. Um, yeah, yeah, Antichrist <laughs> is a hell of a film, huh? <laughs> you know, I was really, I mentioned this in the review a little bit, like, I was not exactly looking forward to watching this movie. I didn't think I was going to like it, but I, I actually really, enjoyed's not the right word. I think it's a really good, I really appreciated this movie. I, I just fell under its spell. Like, I think that this is a fascinating movie. Yeah. Good. Watching. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I, I think that um, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of Von Trier, and I I get why some people don't like him. Uh, but I think that like like with this movie, you know, if you read a lot of the reviews out of Cannes when it premiered, it, there's there's so many people that that are either I think latching on to 
the you know the violence of like the clit getting cut off mm. like or that's an unsettling scene it sure is um but you know <laughs> i think that that but I, I think that that scene is such a great example of how how horror can can use you know how, how a horror filmmaker can use their craft to to like to make a metaphor real you know mm. like in the same way as like you know, Cronenberg is able to, you know, use use uh, I don't know Jeff Goldblum's deterioration of the fly to you know talk about like addiction and and obsession. Yeah. Um, that you know here you know here is a woman that is trying to that is trying to break free from uh, from from the male gaze and trying to break free from from her husband and from this life that she's. Uh, that you know that that she's that she feels trapped in mm. and 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 yet she struggles because she wants this man for sex for this very like primal thing and so what does she do she cuts off her clit you know and and that is a thing that maybe in real life wouldn't happen but because it's in a horror film we're able to go to that extreme but i think that people either latch on to that or they they talk about it being misogynistic and I think that there's an argument for that, mm-hmm. um, but I, I I personally feel I don't know how you guys feel about the the sort of misogyny thing in the movie. I, I feel that that misses the mark a little bit. Um, I think that there's an undercurrent of misogyny in it, but I think it's more about von Trier trying to work out. How do I say this? I think that von I I think that von Trier thinks he hates women. <laughs> Hmm. And so, so it's this not that movie, he actually does; it's that he thinks that he does. Well, he might. Well, he might. But I think that I think that he, whether or not he does, I don't think it. I, I I don't think that's. I don't think that's the point. I think the point is that he he thinks that maybe he does hate women, and so this movie is him trying to figure out: Do I hate women? Hmm. So I don't know, you know, I think for me, I I understand, like you said, I think there is an argument to say that this movie is misogynistic, but I don't believe so because it feels very much like he the the character that von trier seems to identify with the most is charlotte gainsbourg's character like it seems like she is his avatar in this film like it for me it seems like he's more working out issues of depression that he had and she is she is the device that he uses to do that which saying that he's using a woman for his, <laughs> for his own devices kind of lends credibility well, well, I, to that I argument of misogyny <laughs> No, I agree with you though, but I but remember that that her whole thing, her character in the movie, her whole thing is that she believes women to be evil. Right. That Which, she believes women to be inherently evil. So I think you're right. I think that she is his sort of avatar in this movie. But I think it's that sort of struggle of you know, her her coming to this realization of, "Oh god, I think that all women are evil." Well, it seems like to me that he's argue, like with the ar- the argument isn't that she really believes this. It feels like she is being controlled by because she is in this depressive state. Like she's believing this even though it's not true. Like there is such a there's such an explicit like with everything in this movie that is very kind of surreal and implied and ambiguous. Like the most explicit thing to me is the argument between uh, Willem Dafoe and her about like where he's like, no, women are not evil. Like this was your thesis. You were trying to disprove like all of these barbaric practices and all these yeah. people that thought that women were evil. And it seems like 
he's saying that they're not evil. Like it feels like that was actually put in there maybe to say that this isn't a misogynistic film. And for me, whenever like the clitoridectomy part, I found your uh, interpretation interesting, but for me, it felt like she was, she felt guilty because they were having sex whenever their child died. And she, whether or not she really saw her kid fall out of the window or not, she believes that she did, but she didn't stop it because she was like a slave to her desires. And that was the reason why she cut off her clitoris because yeah. Yeah. No, actually, no, you might. Yeah. I think you're, I think you definitely have, have something there. Cause you're right. I mean, it's, it's, and I think too, that maybe this ties into a lot of what you were saying about, about kind of the, the idea of like, maybe she doesn't really believe women are evil, but she believes herself to be evil because because of what happened. Because I think because what happened because she I think she did I think she was in the middle of an orgasm and she looked over and it was either stop this orgasm and go save my child or I'm going to follow through with this orgasm no matter what happens mm-hmm. you know and 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 that's and that's a horrifying thing in and of itself yep. but but the but I think I think maybe that yeah you've touched on something there where it's it's less about all women are evil, but that she believes herself to be evil because of what she's done, which actually ties in a lot to Von Trier, like in, in interviews and stuff where he he's constantly self-deprecating. The guy hates himself. Mm. I mean, he hates himself, you know, and and so it's sort of interesting to put it in that context and go, you know, maybe this is about, you know, trying to work through how do you do how do you handle that if you really if you really fucking hate yourself? Mm. See, and when I was watching it, I watched it from a very, very different perspective. Um, like, and and it took me a little bit to uh, to get to this point in terms of like what I thought during the film. Um, but I feel like it was very Freudian in nature, not just with the uh, like. Charlotte Gainsbourg was being very hysterical, and so you know she had to cut off her clitoris because obviously that is the source of woman's power type of thing but um i like it with so much of well first off the fact that uh willem Dafoe was playing a therapist but like there there's a lot of like going into the subconscious and like even going to um going to the cabin in the woods like that was diving into one's sub or yeah subconscious and Willem Dafoe's character was playing more of the uh, the superego where it's like these are the rules of society this is what must be done uh, it was very very much not necessarily guided by pleasure it was guided by well this is just what we have to do uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg was a little bit more of the id in terms of sex and and violence like that is basically what the id is driven by you know the the life instinct and the death instinct and what was missing in this movie was the ego, that central part of a person that um, the central part of the person that the id and the superego are constantly fighting over. Maybe it was supposed to be the kid. Um, maybe the audience is supposed to be the ego and watching this movie is, is pulling on those different uh, pieces. And so for me, it did feel a little bit more misogynistic. It felt a little bit more, little bit more misogynistic because of again just some of those like Freudian comparisons of uh, women being hysterical but I again I was also watching it through that lens of man there is so much Freud just all over this Mm. and 
I, I mean, a lot of it definitely comes again from just my background in psych, but I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know which one. I mean, I, I don't think that my interpretation is what Lars von Trier was going for, but I, I definitely think there's something there. I love that we all have totally different reactions to this movie, right? <laughs> yeah, like completely different. It seems like very interesting. Well, it's a really it's a really complex movie, and I think that you know that's that's why it's sort of disappointing to me that I think a lot of people, you know, look at this movie and all they see is is the violence, which obviously is a very important part of it. But I think that the, you know, the the what what I love about this movie so much, and what I what I love about all of Andrew's films, really is that there, there's a whole lot going on. And, and, you know, on the surface level, you have this really, like, shocking, you know, material. But then, you know, but then as you dig deeper and deeper and deeper, you, you begin to unravel, you know, all these, you know, sort of complex things that who knows what Von Trier, you know, was going for. Um, but, but I think that, that he... It's clear that in there somewhere is something that this artist was desperately trying to get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I do think that it's a shame that more people don't appreciate the artistry of it because like even just um, maybe it was because of some of the visual style. Maybe it was because of some of the imagery, but there were parts of this movie that reminded me of like like gothic churches where you have depictions of heaven and hell you know painted all throughout the church Mm -hmm. and like the pictures of hell that you see but there are plenty of naked people and plenty of things being impaled and uh separated and uh bifurcated and uh, like just a lot of the stuff that you see in antichrist again is kind of some of the stuff that you would see in a church in England. And I know that it's different for someone to paint something versus here. Let's, let's go and uh, have you do this thing on camera because I want you to like, I I understand why it is a different, uh, a different situation, but purely from an artistic standpoint, I, I, I think that it is a shame that a lot of people aren't able to get past uh, some very, very disturbing imagery to appreciate some of that underlying art. Mm-hmm. It's understandable because, again, like I do feel like he is intentionally trying to be controversial. Oh, totally. With his, you know, the unsimulated sex scenes uh, and, of course, with the violence. Um, but I don't like. It. Well, but but however, I, I don't know, though. I think I'm going to I think I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to talk i want to talk about that though because i'm not sure that like like with the like at the beginning you know the unsimulated sex i'm not sure that was von trier going i just want to push buttons so i'm going to do this mm-hmm. i feel like like the like that moment is about emphasizing this is f-ing. <laughs> and, okay, yeah. you, you know you know like like so i think i think that it's i mean yeah it's certainly shocking but i think that it's less about i just want to rub people the wrong way and and more about you know how do i how do i really <laughs> like get across these two people are fucking and it's really hot mm-hmm. and because that comes into play i think so much later when she gave over to that impulse rather than her motherly impulse you know mm. or or with the violence at the end like i don't think this movie would be as effective if he had cut away 
from yeah. showing the clitectomy, you know, like, or whatever it's called. Like, mm-hmm. I think that, that because he shows it and forces us to look at it, I don't, again, I don't think that's him going like, I just want to do this because it'll f- with people. Like, like, I think that, I think there are filmmakers that do that. I think Gaspar Noé does that. I think it's a very conscious thing on his yeah. part of, he likes f***ing with people and showing, you know, showing uh, credit sequences upside down and whatever, you know. Like, I think that's his thing. I think with Von Trier, I think that he's, I, I, I think that the way his brain works is just, you know, what's the most effective way to show that these two people are having really hot sex? Mm. I'm going to show a fucking hard cock going into a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know? I, I definitely, I, I can definitely agree with you there. And I, I, for me, like yeah, I was another phrase I never thought would be said <laughs> on this podcast, but well, <laughs> I, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's just one of those things where I think that I'm, I'm not necessarily looking at the text based on the text. I'm thinking about how Lars von Trier acts in person. Like I know that, like, because when he when he debuted the this movie at Cannes, this was around the time he was. Uh, this was when he got kit banned, right? Whenever he started talking he about Hitler, yeah. And like he's very he's very inflammatory in real life. And I've watched the this documentary that he made called The Five Obstructions. I don't know if you've seen it. It sounds really interesting. When you mentioned it, it sounds really interesting. I'd like to see it. It's great. But like in the movie, he's in the movie and there are lots of scenes with him just pushing Jorgen Leth's buttons. Like he is being a dick like throughout the movie. And it's great. I mean, it's great because it's like really pushing him to be a better artist, but he just seems like such an inflammatory person in real life that I guess that that was just kind of me taking outside information and kind of injecting it into the... No, that, that's true. That that no that that makes a that makes a good point. And you're right. I think that 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 is the von Trier that I don't like. I like I, I like him saying stuff through his movies, but I don't like him saying stuff in real life. He because, probably agrees with you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe, or he would just yell yeah. at you. So, like, I think that he's intentionally inflammatory, but not to be intentionally inflammatory in the sense of. I don't think that, like, I, I think that it's somewhere in between um, what both of you were just saying in terms of when he was filming the unstimulated sex. I don't think that he was saying, how can I make people the most uncomfortable? How can I, like, really push at people's buttons just for the hell of pushing at people's buttons? I think that he filmed that scene because that's what he felt like that scene needed to be. But I think you he know, also was aware. I'm sure he was completely aware of how I, the audience would I react to it. I think that he didn't care. So well, it's sure. it, it. Well, and I agree. Yeah, I think that's what's he great was, about it is he is his his vision is totally uncompromised in this movie, and I love that about it. Like what? there is nothing, no studio stepped in to mess with it at all. Like he, it is his movie. Good example or not, this is the example I'm going to make. Uh, watching his movies kind of feels like listening to Jay from Jay and Silent Bob. Where? Oh, this is interesting. <laughs> wow. Well, no one has ever made that comparison. I before. cannot wait to hear where this is going. Where, like, pretty much every other word that Jay says is just swearing and swearing and something vulgar. And, but, and yes, I know character, not actual person, but I don't think that uh, the character of Jay is saying those things just to piss people off around him i think that that is just how he views and interacts with the world oh that's interesting i like that uh, that analogy also sure, i think jason I, yeah. Mewes really does act that way and yes <laughs> but i didn't want to actually i did want to say that yeah jason Mew seems way more toned down <laughs> than jay does and you, that's, you know i think i think 
I, I, no, I think you're right. And I think there's an element too of, of that, that I think, I, I think that Von Trier in a, in a, in a way, like maybe this is kind of my reading of it finds some of this stuff like kind of funny, like, like mm. you can't watch that scene with the Fox saying, you know, saying chaos reigns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just want to know so why great. no one's made a shirt you know, of that yet. Like, that's a funny thing. Also, Willem yeah, Dafoe you know, voices but, but the fox. Like, I, I, I love that. Willem Dafoe what? Willem Dafoe does the voice for the fox. Oh, does he really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Wow, I didn't realize that. Huh. Um, I, I did, you know, as we, because I was talking about the the sort of inherent humor in, in, uh, in, in this movie, um, I, there's an anecdote that I heard about the Cannes premiere um, where that I think is appropriate and very, very funny is that when, you know, that there were lots of walkouts, um, and people were, you know, just aghast and horrified. And then, uh, the scene with the, with the click getting cut off, you know, comes up at the end. And apparently, uh, <laughs> what it was, was the, the scene happens and there's just this horrible, you know, gasp and all these people stand up to leave Except you can hear loudly from the balcony one voice laughing hysterically, <laughs> and and it was Tim League <laughs> of the Alamo Draft House just oh. laughing hysterically in the ba- in the balcony. Of and, course, <laughs> and and you know, and it makes me go, and it makes me go, yeah. There is something. It's so outrageous <laughs> that it's moment. Very melodramatic. Like, it's, it's it is it's so outrageous that that I can totally see that being a thing of like of like von Trier you know or any director going yeah and then she's gonna do this and we're gonna show everything how fucked up is that I keep th- <laughs> one thing that I was thinking about is like who is the who imagine being the the company or like the practical effects studio or whatever that had to build the like <laughs> fake vagina. Make yeah. sure it's like completely, like perfectly, realistically detailed. Like that's just that just that's got to be an interesting day of work. No, they just went to the porn store. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Dolled it up a little bit. Yeah. It's fascinating to me <laughs> that somebody that people yeah. people get paid yeah, to do stuff I'm, like I'm, this. <laughs> well, I'm I'm I don't know. I'm glad that you guys liked it. I re- I really I really like this movie and I champion this movie a lot. And and a lot of people, you know, again, keep holding on to you know, the, you know, that scene in particular mm-hmm. and sort of the, you know, the, the idea of it being misogynistic. And I really, I think this is one of those unique movies where I feel like I can see an artist trying to work through something and, and, and really like putting all of his energy into trying to work through whatever it is that's, that's bothering him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't, you know, I, I just and and I think on top of that, then when you look at it and see how beautifully it's shot, and and how you know how horrifically the violence plays out, and how it's completely unafraid to, <clears throat> you know, to really dive into that sort of like bizarre like Dionysian imagery at the end of yeah. like all the insane women you know running through the woods. Um, it's it's just you know it's it's mythic and it's unafraid to be mythic. All of those um, and, and like you said, melodramatic. You know, like yeah, I'd, the, I'd love it. It's one of those things too. Like you say that you've been championing it. It's one of those movies where like I want to recommend it to people, but I can't. I like 
even if I found somebody that I was like, oh, I want to recommend this movie to you, I still like have no idea how they would react to it. Like it's it's hard to put yourself out there and be like, hey, you should watch this movie. And then they watch it and they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? <laughs> well, this definitely requires a big, you know, a big like like a uh, disclaimer, you know, like this movie is not for everybody. And and this movie is also not your typical horror film. You know, it's it's horrific. And therefore, I believe it to be a horror film. Uh, but. But, you know, if you have somebody that's like, yeah, I don't know, I'm into watching like, you know, Friday the 13th part four or I don't know, <laughs> pop an antichrist, you know, so <laughs> like you're going to be in for a night. Well, and Lars von Trier just is not an accessible film director. Like even so I've only seen two and a half of his movies. I've only seen Melancholia, Antichrist and about half of Nymphomaniac just because that is such a long movie. And I just I can't have, get through Nymphomaniac. I don't like it. It's just it, it is it just drudges on like I, I think that it is a very fascinating story but that definitely could be trimmed down a lot and be a much better movie um, but even with Melancholia which of those three definitely the most accessible probably one of the most ex- uh, accessible of like all of his movies even Melancholia I wouldn't recommend that to a lot of people not because I don't think that it's worth watching I think that it is a beautiful movie but but there are so many people that I know that I'm just like, you know what? You wouldn't enjoy this movie. It's just yeah. it, it's not your scene. And if I can't even um, if I can't even recommend Melancholia, then, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, think, I mean, Melancholia is definitely his most accessible. I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's I was that's thinking it sure. might be like I've never seen it, but it wasn't Breaking the Waves actually nominated for Oscars. Like, wasn't it? Didn't it get like a. I feel like there there was Oscars. Um, I don't know. Like I, I don't know. That, but I mean, Dancer in the Dark obviously was. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I and and again, I like Melancholia, but again, he's the thing about his movies is that they're they're not I, they're they're not meant to be consumed for enjoyment. You know, they're meant right. to be consumed. I, I don't even know that they're meant to be consumed by other people. I really believe that all <laughs> his movies are purely just him doing his thing. You know, he Which just is, has to put this out. I think it's great. Like it, I've been, I've followed his career for a while, and I've been kind of afraid to dip my toe in the in the Von Trier waters because of what I've read about him. But after watching this, like I really do want to go back and after I prepare myself. <laughs> watch some of his other movies well i mean it's it's yeah. like reading an author that um and i don't have any specific people who come to mind but it's like reading an author who writes to get published versus an author who writes because there is something that they are working out and there's a part of their soul that they need to get on paper to be able to i, I don't know make it real for them mm-hmm. i guess and unfortunately with a movie you can't just kind of like write it down like okay I'm done. Like you have to actually go through the process of yeah. making it, and and I feel like uh, Frontier is more of that second kind of. He's not necessarily creating films to be a filmmaker. He is creating films because that's what he does. But if that's what you it's do, like, you might as well like get it's like a form of therapy. For sure. Him. Hey, speaking of therapy, oh, let's dive into session nine. Yes, yes. transitions. <laughs> nicely done yeah session session nine so i gotta tell you the way i discovered this movie originally it was way back in new york and when i I guess i I lived in new york for 10 years and and this was you know a long time ago i think i'm pretty sure i was still in college 
and it was on the one dollar DVD rack at Virgin Records. Oh man! And I just looked at it and I saw that picture of the you know wheelchair in the middle of the hallway, and I went, "This looks creepy." And boy, was I happy! I discovered that movie. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty. It's uh, you know I, I rewatched it for this. It's a it's a still pretty fucking effective. I think. Yeah, I think so too. It's really. I remember so. I know that this movie has enjoyed kind of cult status for a while now. Um, I remember when I was probably, I would say that I was probably like 10 or 11 years old or something. My mom was watching it one day and I walked in on the very last scene where Gordon like kills his family. (laughs) Um, Do it Gordon. (laughs) Yeah. The do it Gordon part. And I remember just being so disturbed by the sound of like the baby crying and then Uh it just being snuffed out. Like that was like, I was like, who would make a movie like this? Why is my mom watching this? Like, what is wrong with her? I never want like this. It was, it just disturbed me so much. Yeah. The end of that movie is it's unsettling, especially with our fears. Um, so I mentioned (laughs) this in more children dying. God. And not just dying, but dying by the hand of the father. Why? Why are you doing this to us? So <laughs> I mentioned this in the review. <clears throat> the only time that I've seen this movie was this week. And I don't have a copy of it. And it's not available streaming anywhere. So uh, yeah. I watched it on YouTube. And it was uh, like one of the versions of like when someone posts the movie that they're trying to get past copyright laws. And so uh, it only takes up part of the window and all of the voices are pitched up. So, oh, weird. Yeah. So it sounded like the chipmunks. Yeah. So I, I hated was, that we had to watch it this way because I'm love such that a I watched cinema it snob, way. but it was also kind of entertaining. <laughs> so I got to watch like chipmunks I'm, I'm going insane. That it's not, I'm shocked it's not streaming anywhere. It's, it's not, not like on Amazon or anything. You can't I mean, it might even, be available to rent somewhere. No, you can't even rent it. Cheap, like, so it's only like they only have it available to buy on DVD and it's really expensive. Like, it's, I don't understand why this movie isn't more accessible. Well, screw. Well, Screen Factory just released the, a Blu-ray of it this year. Huh? Oh, did they? Well, we. I don't think we had enough time to really get. I didn't mean. Yeah. I didn't check Screen Factory. That would have been a good place to check. But um, yeah, we were trying to just get to it quickly, and we're cheap bastards. I, so I love. I love that. That's <laughs> well, how I watched it. <laughs> I, I really yeah, do. it certainly adds a whole other uh, <laughs> texture to it. Um, and the fact that the movie still managed to be really creepy, mm-hmm. despite the fact that they all sounded like chipmunks, I think is a testament <laughs> to how great this movie it's so is. Weird. That's so weird. It's so awesome. <laughs> like once we're done recording, you need to go to YouTube and just search for session nine. The only full movie that you'll find of it is is this version. Um, yeah, <laughs> you should at least watch part of it because it's hilarious. I do feel like I need to go buy the movie now. I feel like I, I feel. Um, like guilty because I watched it for free like that rather than finding it somewhere where the, they're getting paid to do it. Like I need to just go buy the movie to ease my soul. <laughs> just, just send a few bucks. Well, I'll to tell her. you the screen factory release is beautiful. And, mm-hmm. and I think that it's, it's interesting to look at it, you know, you know, cause this is one of those early movies that was shot digitally. Um, you know, yeah. there, there weren't a lot of movies at this time that weren't shot on film. Uh, and so it's sort of interesting to look back. It's kind of you know similar to like Twenty Eight Days Later, which I think was the first I think movie, it was. right? I think so. But then you look at this, and and I don't know, like the the Blu-ray, it looks really nice, um, you know. And I and I think that you know I'm I'm sad that the voices all sounded like chipmunks because <laughs> the the 
you know, I, I think that the sound design of this movie is really powerful. Um, and has a lot to do with why it's so unnerving. Yeah. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 what'd you guys think of it? Did you like it? Oh yeah. I think it's a fantastic movie. The, the thing that I find most fascinating about this is that they actually shot it in a mental institution. I think it was like actually the name of the mental institution in the film is actually like the, Mm -hmm. the real place. Um, yeah, it's a real place. Uh, and it's been torn down. Part of it's been torn down now, I think. But like when they went in for this movie, there wasn't much that they had to do in terms of production design. Like they basically just used what they already had. So that makes it just immensely more creepy to me that this is just a real place that really existed. And they're just like, hey, let's make a movie <laughs> about someone going insane and killing. And they people. were part like they can only use parts of the of the uh, hospital or whatever because of how dangerous it was like it was falling apart at the building most of it had been condemned so they were like restricted to only specific wings and areas of the yeah that they could use I, that's just i love that about this movie that that makes it yeah so much you more really feel it right yeah yeah like you really feel it i think as as they're walking through like it 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 feels not said dressed you know it feels mm-hmm. like they're in a real place and it adds this kind of credibility to the horror that's going on you know, and and I think that's why it, I think, applies so much to my to my fear is is that it's sort of that idea of like, can you go crazy by sort of by osmosis, you know? Sure. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I think it's um, yeah, I just think it's really unsettling. And I think that for, you know, for I think this was his first movie, right? Was it? Brandon, um, no, I think I don't it was think so. No, I don't think it was his first. It was like maybe second or third. I can't remember what he did before this, though. Yeah, I don't know either. But but yeah, I just I don't He's know. Done a lot I, of I think things. it's really effective. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's really effective, and I think that um, you know, it's it's a, a very good use of David Caruso. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also can't watch him in anything without thinking of CSI Miami. So I know, I know. He's not he's, wearing sunglasses so, enough in this movie. Well, he's got this like I don't know, man. There's something about Caruso where in everything he does, he has this like weird like cocky swagger mm-hmm. to him, and and I don't know what it is. I, I don't think it works all the time, but I think that in this movie, he's such a unique like weird kind of guy, you know, that you're like, oh, why would you know? I can I can see why he goes and drinks beer by himself after work, you mm-hmm. know, that nobody wants to hang out with him, you know. Um, yeah, I just I think all the characters are really interesting. I think that I love the the uh, I can't remember his name, but I guess it's the guy that wrote it. Uh, uh, that wrote the script plays the the character that gets so obsessed with listening to the tapes. Um, oh, that's right. He did the, write he, it. Stephen G- Gav- Gavidin? Gavidin? Gib- Gib- Give it in, give it on, whatever it is. Mm. Yeah, but um, Mike. like right. I, I, like I love his character. You know, I love the um, I love like that big monologue he gives about about the satanic panic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is just really interesting. Um, yeah, it, it feels like a very real. Everything in this feels very like honest and real. You yeah. know, oh, that that monologue he does is so good and it's so creepy. And then the the. The creepiest thing about this movie, those actual those tapes that he listens to with uh, mm-hmm. the little girl and everything, like they are so. Even with chipmunk voices, <laughs> it might have made it even creepier. Like it is so <laughs> creepy, especially when you hear Simon. Like be- because that voice actually sounds normal. Um, the all right, so 
I'm not a huge. I I did enjoy the movie. Let me say that. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the let's go to a mental institution and something bad happened here, so something bad's happening again. But just because it's been done so many times that it is just an overplayed horror trope. But one it, of the is things, it though? What other movie? What other movies have done that? I, I, a lot of them. <laughs> But I, you got to bring your seats, man. <laughs> didn't Mirrors do that? Like, isn't Mirrors set in a mental, mental institution? Yeah, you with the uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Maybe? I am talking about I've the Kiefer never Sutherland seen one. And uh, the, or or like maybe it wasn't in an institution, but like it used to be an institution, and now it's a school, or it used to be a mm-hmm. I don't know. There, that thing just felt a little overdone. I mean, but, just like going to a place and going crazy because it's crazy. Right. Crazy people yeah. used to live there. But here's the thing that I love about that. Or here's the thing that I love about how it was done. Gordon, like even though he was the one that was going crazy, he wasn't the one that was as like invested in the other things. So uh, so Mike who went and like found all... No, Mike was the one listening to the tapes, right? Yeah. So Mike listening to all the tapes wasn't going insane yeah the dude who was like going back to get all those silver coins wasn't the one going insane Mm. uh the kid not wearing his mask as they were dealing with all this asbestos not going insane so like all of these people that you would expect in this situation from a horror movie well obviously they are going to be the ones who are drawn into this because they're the ones who are the most invested Mm. much like any cabin in the woods movie the person who actually finds the thing is the first one to kind of either go insane or die Gordon was like the least invested in that place. Well, that's what I think is great about it. Like, I love the final line of this movie where it's like, I live in the weak and wounded. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's so like, just think about, like, I think about how often I'm like staying up until, you know, one o'clock in the morning watching movies for this podcast. And I come to work the next day and I'm just like, God, I'm so tired. Like, just thinking about like, just not like and especially with him not even being invested in it all it's like he's just he's just worn out wants to see his family he's got some anger issues and because of that because of the things that he's already struggling with that's what makes him most susceptible to what's going on like that's pretty scary to me yeah well and isn't it so scary too to imagine because of all those stresses and whatever that literally it's just a moment of boiling water getting spilled Mm. on his leg that causes him to murder his wife and child. Yep. That something just one thing snaps. And and that again, that is why this movie scares me so much is that idea of certainly he didn't ever think he'd do something like that, you know? And and yet he did. And and then on top of that, he went to work. He kept going to work for a week, mm. you know, to to with fully believing that he's talking to his wife on the phone and one thing even that's, though he you know like like yeah it's yeah exactly it's just it's it's uh i don't know it's so scary to me well and they, i love that they kind of imply that because of what happened he i, I feel like they're implying that he is he had been living in the asylum while he was i think so kind of yeah that, like that he had just been staying there overnight uh yeah that's that's creepy so <laughs> the question on timing did he kill his wife and son and that's what caused him to go insane or did he go insane and that's what caused him to kill his wife and son? Because, yeah, like the boiling water spilled on his lap, momentary lapse, lashed out. Like, do you think that momentary lapse is what was the break or do you think he was broken by that point? 
Does that make sense? I think good question. I, good I don't question. know. Like, I love the sure. way that you never. One thing that's brilliant is like, he, anytime he's with his family, he's just sitting in the car and looking out. Like you never actually see him interact with them, so you never really know like when things happened. Um, I feel like what probably happened is he had been there had been a fight or something and he'd been staying in the asylum and like Simon was able to kind of wiggle in a little bit. And then that morning he went, he tried, he finally was like, okay, I'm going to go in and we're going to try and fix this. That's when everything happened. He killed them. And then after that he went to work and killed everybody else. That's what I think happened. I could be wrong, but yeah, I don't know. I think my, my feeling is, is that, you know, cause what they say they have to do it in a week, right? Yeah, and that that does how long they have. Yeah, so I, I I I sort of feel that on like on day one or day two, he goes home and and he kills them, and and he he you know totally uh, uh, you know blocks it out of his memory, and then he goes back to the asylum, and I think that that's when he starts to you know, stay there. But I, th- I oh, think well, that, that it makes sense because he is talking on the phone with his wife and she's not really there. So maybe you're right. Like, he... but I think, I think that it, it's sometime, maybe it's like midway through the week, but I think it definitely happens. Like, you know, at some point after they've been there for a couple days, um, you know, and, and, and whether or not he goes crazy because he killed them or, or he kills them because he went crazy. I, I, again, like you said, it's, it's really hard to tell. And I think that's part of the mastery of it is that it's kind of like, well, you know, I could see how him doing this act that he was out of control, you know, that maybe like Simon took over for a second and, and then the only way he can cope with it is for him to, you know, totally like block it out and disassociate. Um, I don't know. I mean, Nathan, you're the, you're the expert in this stuff. I mean, what do you think? (laughs) I can't really think because as you were saying that and you said Simon took over first I thought well Simon says uh, you know just like the worst version of that game (laughs) and then I thought about the fact that one of the chipmunks is named Simon Simon. (laughs) (laughs) that's all that I picture is just a little demonic Simon sitting on his shoulder just do it Gordon do it do it Gordon (laughs) oh man I think that either way, it is just as terrifying. I mean, well, the, the think of it, we've brought this up in uh, a few of the other movies, like think of it in terms of like addiction. You don't get addicted to something by being addicted to something, you know, like you're not already addicted to cocaine. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of have to have that momentary piece of like you have to do cocaine before you can get addicted to cocaine. And and so I like maybe I, I don't know. I don't know which is I don't know which is scarier. I don't know if it is worse for him. I don't know if it is worse for there to be so much building up to the point where like he just really can't control himself anymore and that is opening the door to be able to go insane because Actually, you know what? No, that is what's scarier because if you are insane and you have no control over something, that's terrifying, but also you don't have control. But how many people in the real world like actually go insane and start killing their family in in the sense of like actually go insane? However, 
there are countless examples of someone having a momentary lapse. You know, like most murders are crimes of passion and not just randomly some dude going insane and, and killing people. So, right. so yeah, I would actually say that I, I would actually say that um, with him not being insane yet is the scarier thing because I could see that happening so much easier just in terms of like you've had a really terrible day at work. You are exhausted. You are tired. You are worn out. You're already having financial problems like all of the things that he was dealing with and then to go home and just want to see your wife and kid and for there to be just one momentary lapse and like may, maybe it maybe he went insane as he was killing them. So like maybe it was just that initial just burst of anger and that's what blew the fuse and, and allowed him to kind of go insane. But to me, that's scarier, you know? Sure. Yeah, I I think so. I think so too. I mean, and, and you know, it's, I think this sort of leads us into a further question of, of, you know, is Simon a real entity or, Yes, it's a chipmunk. You know, that what? I said, yes, it's a chipmunk. It's a chipmunk, yes. (laughs) You know, or like, like, is this a real sort of demonic presence, like a supernatural kind of force, you know, that lives in the weak and the wounded? Um, Or is this uh, just kind of a, a representation of this part of us that lives in all of us that, that could do this thing, you know, this sort of thing, which, which, Sorry, Both of which are terrifying. Well, and like from a very Freudian perspective, yes, it is something that lives in all of us. You know, like, so I'm not a very big Freudian. I think that he's full of hooey, except for the fact that he's like also <laughs> right about a lot of things. <laughs> um, but yeah, like Freud's <laughs> thing about the id was everyone is driven by sex and everyone is driven by death. So you don't just have the sex drive. You also have like a death drive, which is why there is war, which is why people get into fights so easily, which is why uh, like anger and love, um, which, which is why anger and love are so closely, closely related. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like like in marriage counseling, if a couple comes in and they just hate each other's guts, it's like, OK, cool. They still care about each other enough to be mad at each other there's something to work with mm-hmm. um so like the opposite of love isn't hate the opposite of love is uh, apathy and and so like hmm. for freud having just all of us are angry all of us are just driven by wanting to go out and just punch some dude in the face like that is a thing that drives people and and that's why like it's not that hard to imagine someone just having a bad day and snapping mm-hmm. and and yeah like that is a part of us yeah no I, I i think so that's something that like one of my things that i worry about most as a parent is the way that i show anger around my kids and there are times like especially if i've had a hard day or something and you know i've been dealing with some issues with kids with the kids in school and like there are times where i'm just like feeling totally beat up which is funny because that's one of the reasons why i wasn't able to do the podcast for session nine was because it was late and i had had like a terrible day but like I just think about like how easily I give in to my anger sometimes and just kind of snap. We talked about this a little bit in my episode, but like I can totally I can't imagine myself ever going as far as Gordon does, of course. But like I can see myself. I, I definitely empathize with him and just like that one moment of weakness and just kind of snapping like that. Like I, yeah. I understand where that yeah. comes from. 
and that's scary to me. Yeah, and like I don't think that most people are going to like go out and kill their kids just because they had a bad day at work. But if you have a bad day at work and your kid just like whatever spills milk and you're like, oh my god, what's wrong with you? Why do and you know like that's yeah. a thing that so many people do, and if people aren't aware of that and and sort of like rein it in and address the fact that I handled this poorly, I need to fix it, then maybe it doesn't build to the point where they kill their kids or to their kids become a murderer, but it does effectively kill that relationship. Or destroy the family or, yeah. you know, like as you take out, take it out on your wife or child or something at a certain point, they're not going to be able to handle it anymore. And so, yeah, it is very much in, in a lot of these horror movies. It's that situation taken to the extreme. Yeah. Like, I mean, basic, basically the entire movie could boil down to uh, how overworking can effectively kill a marriage. I mean, mm. that that's a like super simplistic thing, but I you can also kind of take that out of it because he's like, all right, it's going to take us three weeks. Nah, screw that, man. We'll get it done in a week. <laughs> We're going to work ourselves to death. And then, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. I, I, I think, you know, I, I it's sort of interesting to think about like the, the potential supernatural kind of aspect of this because the more I think about it, the more I go, I don't know that it matters, you know, that that that's kind of the 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 what's so frightening about insanity is that, you know, whether or not it's a demon possessing you or whatever, or it's it's just you going crazy. Um, you know, the fact that the fact remains we're all susceptible to it. Yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing you can do. There's no preventative measure you can take. You know, like if there's a, if Jason is coming after me, I mean, there are things that I can use and tools that I can find and whatever to try to escape him. But this, you know, there's nothing you can do, especially if you just suddenly snap and like, it's, it's so scary. And like, that goes back to just like, one of the most classic uh, and like foundational things of horror, there are basically two kinds of horror movies, the mon- the external monster and the internal monster. And external monsters for me are fun to watch. You know, like if I'm watching a horror movie that has an external monster, it's great. You know, mm. it's just it's just a lot of fun when there is an internal monster or when the external monster represents the internal monster. Like those are the ones that to me are just so terrifying because yeah, you can run away from, you can run away from a dinosaur, not for long, but you can still at least try to run away from a dinosaur. You cannot run away from yourself. Mm-hmm. So insane yeah. or not, like, yeah, you're kind of stuck with who you are. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Speaking of internal and external threats. Hey, yeah. It's time for in the mouth <laughs> of madness. Yes. Don't you just love segues? Uh, so yes, in the mouth of madness. Uh, wh- why'd you pick this one? Oh, you know what? Wait, what? wait. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Before we do that, I want to tell. There's one last thing I have to say about session nine that I almost forgot. I have to mention this because I love this very much. Is that about ten or eleven years ago, I was in a Kinkos in Columbus Square or Columbus Circle in New York City, and in walks David Caruso. Oh man! And I walked up, and I walked up to him. And he was being fawned over by some guy that was like, oh, I love you in CSI. He was like, thanks, bro. And I walk up to him and I say, man, I love you in session nine. 
And the look on his face was one of pure, like, you've seen that movie? (laughs) He goes, oh, gosh, thanks. And then I swear to God, the man pulls out his wallet and pulls out a wallet-sized photo of himself on the set of CSI Miami with, like, his sunglasses on on a boat. (laughs) And on the back is pre-signed a cursive D. And and he handed it to me. He goes, here you go, bro. Uh, said, wow, thank you. Thank you, David Caruso. So there, I had to I had to leave our session nine discussion on that. That is oh, amazing. So, so have you have you taken have you uh, been inspired by that? Do you leave pre-signed pictures of yourself in your wallet to give to people? I, sh- I, should. You I should. should. You know, it's funny. I was in a I was in a DVD store in London and I saw a bunch of DVDs of sequence break. And I remembered that Neil Gaiman, I guess, goes into bookstores and like, like secretly signs yeah. copies of books that he's written. Uh-huh. And I thought of doing that, but then I was like, well, that'd be kind of weird to like sign the outer covering, you know, outer plastic. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. Sign the plastic that they're going to throw away. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. Um. Anyway, anyway, yes. But uh, on to in the math of madness. Uh, one of my, I, at, at times, I say this is my favorite Carpenter movie. Man, I, I can see that. I love that. I've never, I'd never seen this movie, and I'd been wanting to watch it for a long time. And I'm so glad that you picked this movie for your week because I freaking love this movie. It was so much yes. fun. It is so much better. I, like, I went in like with pretty high expectations because it's Carpenter, and you know, like I'd heard so many great things about it, and I, I knew that it had like kind of a Stephen King kind of side to it, and I love Stephen King, and I'm just, I was so there for this movie, and it was even better than I expected. We are very bad horror geeks. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I no, I'm glad. No, I'm, I'm so glad. I mean, this is a movie that I think kind of gets sometimes a little lost in Carpenter's filmography. Like people talk about Halloween or escape from New York or they lit, you know, and, and the thing and rightly so. But I mean, for me, this is the first Carpenter movie I ever saw. You know, when I was first beginning my, my journey as an adolescent trying to, you know, rent movies from the video store and try to getting, trying to get into horror. Like I literally, I just walked through and I was like, I was afraid that I was going to be scared by stuff. Like I didn't watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre forever because I was so scared of like what it might be. Right. But then I, I, I arrive at this cover and I go, Oh, it's a horror movie about books. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, that, that can't be terrifying. that bad. You know, and and then it says by the director of Halloween, and I go, but this is going to have street cred to it because it's the director of Halloween, which I haven't seen, but I hear it's scary. Mm-hmm. Sure. So okay, this has got to be good. And I take it home and I watch it, and it fucking blew my mind. <laughs> right. I mean, this movie, and like rewatch, I, I rewatch this movie, you know, at least once a year for sure, maybe more than that. I love this movie a lot, but the the what I love about this movie is how weird it is. I mean, oh, this is no. a bonkers movie. <laughs> so great have you ever have you read the dark tower series i'm a huge fan of the dark tower series yeah yes this reminds me so much of how stephen king inserted himself as a character in the dark tower completely also i meant to mention this on jacob's ladder the creatures in that movie reminded me of the low men the or like Mm. i kind of got like a a vibe like that from it but anyway sure this (laughs) this movie just reminded me so much of the dark tower series and the way that king plays with the idea of him being controlled by his own characters and I find that to be absolutely fascinating. Like I haven't done much writing myself, but I kind of understand like 
when you're writing something and maybe you can speak to this as well since you've written a movie and directed a movie but like as you're writing characters and you're you're coming up with the story it's like you don't necessarily know where the story is going to go you're kind of driven by the way that these characters are in your head sure like yeah. in some cases like I, I know that a lot of authors talk about when they're writing stories like they'll talk about a scene and they're like i didn't even know that that's where that scene was going to go like that's just where the characters took me as i was writing and i find that to be absolutely fascinating like that creative process yeah oh yeah i mean i think that especially with this movie you know i think there i think there's an element of that and then i think there's also an element of how kind of for me every character i write has a little part of me mm-hmm. um you know that that and I think that's true here where Sutter Kane has, has created a, a world of, of all these different, you know, aspects of himself a little bit, you know, and that he's, you know, apparently working at the whim of, of these, these, you know, sort of elder gods, um, you know, uh, which is a whole other thing, but yeah, no, I, I feel you. I mean, I think that, I think that that's kind of what this movie is getting at is that, you know, what, what an artist creates, is they really are creating life. They they really are creating a living, breathing thing, even if it's a work of fiction. I just like to picture, um, you know, when you said that every character that you create is uh, has a tiny piece of you. I like to picture that every character that you create is just carrying around a uh, a little wallet sized picture of you, <laughs> where you signed it. Yeah, <laughs> not yes. the G. Yes. <laughs> not, of G. Not, not the real person, but you know the character in the movie. Like that, every single one of them has a piece of that. Um, yeah, one of the things that. Um, so first off, I just love the fact that. Carpenter is is a masterful masterful filmmaker and I love the fact that he just dives into this movie you know like you don't get a lot of build up before getting to this is what's going on it's almost just like oh this is what's going on here we threw you in uh, into it but I love the fact bringing it back to some of the other things that we've talked about that what makes people go insane when they read Sutter Kane books is believing them so again like it brings back in uh, some of that belief like when uh, when he was talking about that towards the end of this is becoming more real because more people are believing it mm-hmm. and like part of the reason that the kids um, are the first to kind of get drawn into that world is because kids are very imaginative sure that's not the <laughs> word I was going to use but kids are very imaginative and so it's very easy for them to buy into a story and to uh, believe some of the realism of what it is and they haven't been jaded by real life like yeah like yeah adults are and and so I don't know I just really enjoyed that part of it especially with Sam Neill's character being so logical and so like this is obviously not really happening and this is obviously just a bunch of actors and he so adamantly does not believe that when things finally take over and and he does believe like he is just all in and i don't know i i really uh i really enjoy the the role that that belief has in in what actually happens in uh in the mouth of madness yeah, yeah, and and I think on top of that, what I love about this movie is that it's just super fun. Oh, you know? yes, and also that. <laughs> well, that's something we talked like, about in the review like, too. Like it's like we can definitely dig into it, and that's what we like to do. So of course, that's where we start. But like it's one of those movies like you can totally turn your brain off and just have a great time with this movie. It's so much fun. Yeah, like all the creaturey stuff and all the you know, like I think I think all the actors are great in it. I I love how kind of pulpy it can get, you mm-hmm. know, and like how 
at the end, I mean, how outrageous it is that like, uh, you know, a, a rip in space time opens and it's the pages of a fucking book. Oh, no, it's <laughs> and such a great, like, great thing. Smart idea. It's, no, so, it's, funny. Like, it's so wild. I just, I love how wild it is. And, and, you know, and like the, that black church, which is one of my, that's one of the Holy grail places I want to visit sometime. Cause that's a real place. Oh, uh, that, really? That black. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's a real it's a real church. Is it really uh, in like Toronto, in the middle outside of, of Toronto? I was gonna say, is it really in the middle of just like some small town New England? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's up it's outside of, it's apparently like two hours outside of Toronto. Um and now as I understand it, uh it's it looks exactly the same, except uh there's like apartment buildings like on either side of it. <laughs> um, so no longer in like a big open field, but yeah, it exists. Um I, I have been to the location where they shot the exterior of the insane asylum. Um, oh, that's cool. That I have, I have been there. Uh, that's that's a water treatment plant in Toronto. Hmm. Um, oh, isn't that but, where they, uh, they also filmed? Uh, darn it! Well, they filmed something else there. I can't remember what it is. Like I feel like it's kind of a popular filming film location. I, I mean, maybe. I mean, it certainly looks iconic. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I just I love this movie, you know, and I think that, you know, it, it's sort of fun to end on this because the, you know, all the other movies kind of are so serious and like intense. Um, and and this one I feel is is, you know, it, it certainly tackles these themes of going crazy and and but 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 in, in a way it kind of it kind of I don't know, it like bathes in them. It, gl- it glorifies them. It like sort of says it's okay to go insane. It's okay to go nuts, you know, because if you're totally nuts, then the rest of the world is the ones that are crazy, you know? <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, I, I, I really like that too. Uh, the conversation that, uh, whatever her name was, was having with Sam Neill of you only think that other people are crazy because that's the majority. And like if the rest of the world went insane, then being normal would be viewed as insane. Mm-hmm. There, yeah, I freaking love John Carpenter because there's so many things that we could talk about. But I'm not going to turn this into a five hour political debate podcast, even <laughs> though I totally could with that statement alone. <clears throat> but yeah, know, it's it's yeah. Ever. it's so great. This is like a kitchen sink horror movie like it's got everything like there are some genuine genuinely creepy terrifying moments in this movie there are a lot of great jump scares but then there's a lot of great effects and some kind of goofier moments but i think that just adds to its charm like the things in this movie that i feel like a lot of people would consider its flaws are things that i just love about it like how ridiculously over the top the the johnny boy scene is when they first get to the church and it's like the doors are flapping open and everybody's outside with <laughs> shotguns and stuff. And then he morphs into Sutter Kane and the dogs attack. Like it's it's so over the top and kind of goofy, but it's just it's so much fun. Well, and I love that so much is packed into it just with all of those different styles and with all of the the different things that we've just been talking about, how much we enjoy it. But it doesn't feel crowded. You know, like yeah. I, this movie could very easily be just like, ugh this dude just couldn't make up his mind and so he's like i'm gonna do a slasher and i'm gonna do a demon possession Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna do it like it doesn't feel like that it's very organic it all fits together perfectly it feels like every thing about it is a piece of the puzzle rather than i I don't know cobbling together some lego thing Mm -hmm. that isn't really a thing yeah yeah like i feel like this movie could very easily feel like a canon film you know like a, a super cheese ball like outrageous concept movie 
but because it's Carpenter, he's able to somehow make it all work. It 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 works, and you you take it seriously, even though you aren't taking it seriously. You know, like yeah, it's it's a really it's it's just a really awesome movie. I mean, even the opening credits, you know, with that like hard rock score. Yes, it reminded me like Metallica or something. And when I was watching yeah. it, I was like, I feel like this shouldn't work, but it totally does. Like it's awesome. It totally does. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah, if this was any other movie and I heard this, I'd be like, this is super dated, but I I, <laughs> I totally dug it. Yeah. I, I absolutely love it. And for us at least, uh it's a really, really great transition because um next week uh next week we're gonna be focusing on um, indie artist J.R. Mounts and his fear is fear of death but specifically using all Carpenter movies. Yeah. So wow. yeah. Right. So we're going to do uh, The Fog, Christine, The Thing, uh, Halloween 1 and 2 which I know technically Halloween 2 isn't a Carpenter film um, and then Palette Cleanser of Escape from New York. So yeah we're doing oh, an fun. entire week of of Carpenter films and this was such a good transition into that and yeah. yeah, this definitely felt like a palate cleanser for us. It was it, it was a lot of fun. I, I I love everything about this movie. Like it's so good. I love Sam Neill's performance. Like he totally goes in for it. I love that they start off the movie with him being crazy because that's kind of what I thought the movie was going to be at the asylum the whole time. I mentioned that in the review, but like I didn't realize he was it was he was going to be crazy in the beginning, and then it was going to flash back to show that he's very much like. He he doesn't seem like a person who would be susceptible to going crazy to believing in these like crazy monsters and old gods and Lovecraftian kind of craziness that's going on. So like whenever it does that flashback, it's so 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 brilliantly sets the stage for the insanity that's going to come. Well, and- well, and, and the and the fact that he's also like, I mean, he's an insurance guy, right? So he's he's like the the bastion of what is real. Yeah, what yeah, really exactly. happened. Um, and I just, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that especially that opening to see him so fucking bonkers at the <laughs> opening and then, and then go back and see the stuffed suit dude. I'm, it's like instantly you're going, Ooh, I can't wait to see how we got I there. Know. And it's, it's so funny too. Like I didn't expect this movie to be so funny, but it literally opens up with him saying like, sorry about the balls. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's, then he's like, no, not the carpenters. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> well, it's so funny. Like uh, bringing him back in some of the stuff that, uh, that Graham, you were talking about earlier in terms of like why the fear of going insane is so terrifying for you. And all of these other movies that we've been talking about so far, there is that element of this could happen to anyone, but in the, in the mouth of madness, he is like so confidently assured that this cannot happen to him, that this is not real. So it's not just the, like it comes out of nowhere and you don't expect it. It's almost like, no, you will go crazy because everyone does. And like, he's fighting it the entire time, but even with fighting against it, it's still just like, Mm. yeah, no, you're still going to end up going crazy one way or another. And again, like that just adds another layer of how going insane can be so terrifying. Like, you know, bringing real life into it, you know, maybe uh, if a person has a family history of mental illness, or maybe a person has a family history of addiction, or maybe a person has a family history of whatever it is, then like all of the things that they do to kind of fight against quote unquote going insane, they're actively fighting against something that 
can they ever escape? Mm-hmm. Question mark. Well, and that's what's so brilliant about the end of this movie. Not just because like he actually goes back and watches the movie that you just watched. Like that's such a fun little bit of meta narrative. But it's so great because it's like you know what? If you're going crazy, just enjoy the ride. Like <laughs> enjoy it. Yeah. Like it's. <laughs> Like, like you said, don't fight against it. Just you're, there's nothing you can do about it. It's just, just have fun with it. Do what you can and totally. laugh at it. It's so, it's so great. That's what I, I don't know if you looked at it, but on my Twitter, that new Twitter page that we created for the Chimerican, I put that picture of Sam Neill in the movie theater <laughs> and it just seems like it's so perfect for, for, for the Twitter, uh, Twitter feed about watching movies. Especially because it. the last, what, what day is this? This is 35 days of 60 days of Halloween. Forgot to say that at the beginning. The last 35 days in a row, we have been watching and discussing horror movies and it kind of feels like we're going a little crazy at this point. Just a little bit. I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. <laughs> Watching all the movies is 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 an ordeal uh, in and of itself, but like then having to record podcasts for every one of them too that are you know f- 15, 20, 30 minutes <laughs> and, is just and to like have you, to you guys are you guys crazy. are maniacs. We are exactly and like to have to think about stuff because there have been so many episodes where I just wanted to be like, go watch this movie. It's fun. The end. <laughs> but like a three second podcast won't work. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> yes. We'll get there. Uh, all right. So the last movie that Eric and I watched earlier, but um, but we didn't watch for this week, uh, Evil Dead Two. That was your palate cleanser. Yes. But he still goes insane. So let's talk about why you chose a palate cleanser that still involves someone going insane. Um. Well, Evil Dead Two is my is my eternal palate cleanser. Uh, I love that movie. <laughs> it's one of my. It's it's probably my like number two or three favorite movie of all time. Uh, I could, I watched it last night, actually. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love this movie. Uh, I think that also thematically, obviously it, it works here. Um, but I think that it, it, it really revels in that idea of, yeah, even though he's going insane or that he, he thinks he's going insane. Um, uh, maybe that's part of why I love it so much is that he thinks he's going crazy, but no, no, this is all very real. You know, and he's really battling this stuff. And in the end, he, in a way, kind of vanquishes it. Um, but it's, it's also just fun. You know, I think that the the uh, the craft on display is like some of the best filmmaking of all time. I think Bruce Campbell gives one of the all time great performances ever, like not just in horror movies, but ever. Um, I think that, you know, it's just it's a it's a masterpiece and it's super fun. It's endlessly rewatchable. Uh, you know, it's, it's scary, uh, but it's funny and it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I love it. It's, I love this movie. Yep. Yeah. Totally agree. Evil dead two is also one of my all time favorites. I keep going back and forth on whether or not I prefer evil dead or evil dead two. Um, but, I, I can't ever decide because I love them both very equally. I think Evil Dead 1 is scarier. I think that Evil Dead 2 is better made and funnier. But, like, they are both perfect. It's like, what's better, pecan pie or... I Other pie that's good. <laughs> or pie, another good pie. Other pies are stupid. <laughs> like... like uh, I, yeah what's better pecan pie or pecan pie you know just i just i I have a hard time imagining somebody that watches evil dead 2 and goes meh i know yeah you know 
I love that you brought up the fact that Bruce Campbell's performance is one of your favorite of all time. Like, I think that this is the thing that frustrates me about being a fan of horror movies is they don't get their due Mm -hmm. in terms of like recognition, which it doesn't need it. That's just kind of a nitpicky thing for me. But it's like you watch a movie like this and you see Bruce Campbell and the physicality that he brings to that role. Like, this is like Charlie Chaplin, Buster (laughs) Keaton-esque, like amazing, an amazing performance. 100%. 100%. It's Buster Keaton level stuff. I mean that whole scene with the with the uh, the hand, like <laughs> that hand scene, one of the one of the greatest scenes ever put to cinema. Like it's really, incredible. it's it's like, and I don't understand it's how so good. I don't understand how people can watch this and not understand like the level of talent it takes to pull something off like that. Like it's well, it blows my mind that he doesn't get more credit for or horror movies in general. Don't get more credit for performances like that and one of the things that i love so much about bruce campbell like he is he is one of my favorite people uh like he's the the type of person that if i ever met in real life i would just super fanboy it's like i I need a tattoo of your face right now will will you do it will you do the tattoo (laughs) like i i would go crazy i just absolutely love him but his humor it's so just like in your face and mugging the camera but it's also so subtle and like I think that probably the best example of it is um, in episode one of Ash versus the Evil Dead, where he's back at work at um, S Mart, and and he drops like he picks up the um, the box of light bulbs and they all fall and are broken, and just him like trying to walk on those light bulbs. It's like watching a cartoon of a real <laughs> life, and it's just so so good it's it's such a simple thing but again just like the vaudevillian uh physical comedy of how do i walk out of this awkward situation of trying to walk on glass without making a sound and just like the face that he makes it it is beautiful i love bruce campbell yep yeah i, I don't know what else there is to say about that evil De- evil dead is one of my all-time favorite series yeah it's it's phenomenal yeah. it's so good it's it's it is the ultimate palate cleanser, like you said. Like it can it works for anything. Well, this is at least the third time that we've talked about it. <laughs> at least, yeah. This month, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, uh, Graham. Where do you want people to like follow you and support you and to watch Shutter, watch Sequence oh, Break on Shutter? Man. Yeah, I mean, watch. Well, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Watch Sequence <laughs> Break on Shutter. Um, and then watch the uh, you know, Shutter is an amazing service anyway. So you won't be disappointed. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Graham Skipper. Uh, on or I've got a website that I sometimes update, uh, <laughs> GrahamSkipper.com. Um, but yeah, yeah, come find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm I'm there a lot, and uh, I love talking horror nerdy stuff. Um, and this was uh, yeah, super fun. Thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed this, and you guys are great to talk to. And I'd love to. Uh, come back and and talk more horror movies with you guys sometimes man absolutely i this has been an absolute blast like i don't think there's been a single time that i've spoken with you that i haven't just been like oh my god this is so much fun yeah this has been great i'm so thrilled to have been a part of this like it was great to meet you i thank you for making us watch all of these fantastic (laughs) movies like these are movies i've been wanting to watch for a long time and whenever i saw the list i was like damn that's a great list of movies like i'm so excited for (laughs) this uh it was it was a blast thank you being on the show very happy to have been a part of it yeah 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 no thank you guys this was awesome and i'm going to keep pestering you about coming back i know that you have a crazy busy schedule uh but yeah you have a standing invite for uh for any time you want to be on the podcast um fantastic i'll take you up on it sweet 
Uh, Eric, where do you want people to follow you? You can find me on Twitter at the Chimerican. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Chimerican Reviews. You can find me. You can find my personal account on Twitter at Eric J A Y, or you can find me on Letterboxd. I'm sorry, on Twitter it's Eric J A Y Harris, and then on Letterboxd it's Eric J A Y. And you can find me on uh, Facebook and Instagram at The Gargoyle Podcast, on Twitter at Gargoyle Podcast, and on Letterboxd at The Gargoyle. Uh, if you enjoy these episodes, um, and if you enjoy listening to people just rant and rave about horror and dissect the crap out of movies that maybe there's not much to it but hey it's still a lot of fun to analyze movies uh be sure to subscribe on itunes and google play stitcher or anchor.fm um and let's see what else uh if you do enjoy horror movies and are looking for something you know fun and horror to do the frightening ass film fest in chattanooga is october 27th to 27th and 28th uh knoxville horror film fest is october 18th through 21st and that's in knoxville obviously uh central cinema in knoxville has just an amazing lineup of horror movies um building up to well to knoxville knoxville horror film fest they're doing like universal monster double features they're doing uh just a lot of great horror movies all month long uh, and even here in Cleveland, there's some fun horror goodness. The Cleveland Public Library is doing a film series every Wednesday. They're showing adults-only horror movies, not in like a Lars von Trier style adult-only, <laughs> but like don't bring your kids because there, there's going to be some blood and gore, and it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and then uh tonight october 5th and then october 19th and october 26th um we're going to be doing five dollar no family friendly fun nights presented by five dollar films uh five dollars for the movie five dollars for all you can eat tacos tonight is going to be arachnophobia the 19th is gremlins and then the 26th is monster squad um so if you live near cleveland show up to that after the movie and tacos there's going to be some discussion and fun ish basically you get to see me and rob alderman kind of be film nerds against each other so that'll be fun uh so show up to that and support local cinema support indie cinema support horror movies support things that you enjoy and go watch horror movies uh if you can't make it out to any of these events or if you live somewhere like la or something who would do that um lame (laughs) totally lame at least get together with some friends and uh and do your own horror movie double features and just enjoy horror talk about it because that we think at least that that's where so much of the fun of horror comes from is actually discussing it and like why it relates to your fears and why it's as much fun as it is all right after all of that rambling in any final thoughts on horror from from either of you happy halloween everybody yay <laughs> halloween to say about it it's gonna be it's very halloween happy for time. us <laughs> best time of the year i am such a little kid like uh around late august early september when halloween decorations were first starting to uh, show up in stores Anytime that my wife and I were in public and I saw something even remotely Halloweenish, I would go Halloween <laughs> and just point at it with just like the biggest smile on my face. Just fills me with so much joy. <laughs> She's like, "You were such an idiot," and I'm like, "I don't care. <laughs> Halloween is awesome. Uh, I love Halloween. So much fun." Oh man. Uh, all right, that's been it for this episode of the Gargoyle Podcast. I'm Nathan, aka the Gargoyle. I'm Eric, aka the Chimerican. And this is Graham. Graham, say goodbye. And, and I'm 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 Graham Skipper, and I live in the week in the wounded. <laughs> <laughs>
Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, bye now.